Hey, this is Eric from Long Island. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Hi, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies, damn it. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 36. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and I'd like to introduce my esteemed and dynamic co-hosts. He is a walking, talking encyclopedia of the cinema, and quite possibly the most prolific online film critic in the world. He watches and writes a review for a movie a day, every single day, for DVDinfatuation.com until he reaches his goal of 2,500 movies, at which point I have no doubt he will just keep going. <laughs> so we welcome the amazing but subtle Dr. Shaw. Oh, thank you, Jay. And I, I, I like the fact that you avoid hyperbole when you, uh, <laughs> when you give these introductions. Um, again, I, you just floored me. I don't know how to respond, so I'm just going to say thank you. And um, it's great to be here. I'm, uh, once again, I think this is, is, what is this, our fourth week in a row oh my of, of releasing an episode. I think I, I talk to you guys more than I talk to my wife anymore. <laughs> We're hardcore. Yeah, and, and I got to credit that line, the amazing but subtle. Uh, that goes all the way back to Planet Macabre days. That was my favorite intro that Bill Shetty ever did for you, and I just loved it. <laughs> so I, I steal that one. But next, this man is well-suited to be a horror film critic because not only is he a filmmaker himself, but he's so passionate about the cinema that he has probably killed somebody at some point for being contrary to his contrarianism. <laughs> <laughs> he was recently featured in the current issue of Filmmaker Magazine, said so don't piss him off, and he is probably the most talented movie podcaster I have ever heard, and that is no joke. Welcome to The Wolfman, Josh Legary. Wow, thank you, Jason. I think it's been, uh, I don't know when the last time you've given me an introduction to anything. It's uh, quite flattering, but yeah. <laughs> Well, you better start calling me Jay of the Dead on this show or oh, you're getting sorry. no I'm more sorry, good Jay intros. <laughs> just, <laughs> no, I know. It's confusing. On my other, my alter ego on my other show is just Jason, but you know, I like to feel. Well, no, that's you. I think the alter ego is the Jay of the Dead, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, you know what? Know. I'm wondering. I, I really think that Jay of the Dead might really be me. Maybe. <laughs> I think Jay got a little Bobadog climbing up inside of him tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. <laughs> yes, the Bobadook. So, Horror Movie Podcast has two kinds of episodes. Themed episodes where we analyze a specific horror theme along with some films that demonstrate that theme. And then Frankensteinian episodes, which is just a hodgepodge of horror movie reviews and commentary sewn together Frankenstein's monster style. And then episode 36 is going to be the latter. That's this show. And before we jump into our reviews, I just want to make sure, listeners, that you have not overlooked all of our most recent releases because within a week's time, we actually released like three different episodes. So wow. just to make sure you're caught up here, 
Back on episode 33, that's where we reviewed The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Extraterrestrial, and then Doc and I had this impromptu conversation about the great Bella Lugosi. And then in episode 34, that was our cryptozoological horror episode, our first installment about Bigfoot. And that's when we reviewed Exists, and we interviewed its director, Eduardo Sanchez. That one's a must-listen And then episode 35 was our special Black Friday episode where we discussed the horrors of consumerism with Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop. And so you can find all of those at horrormoviepodcast.com. And that brings us to episode 36. So we're going to move into our feature review of The Babadook. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of The Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. Did he think that about my dad before he died? He sees things as they are, that one. I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioral problems. Okay, guys, do you want me to impress you right now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. I'm going to give you a one sentence premise for the Babadook, and I'm going to capture it, and I'm going to capture it in the form of a question. Here it is. This is what the Babadook is about. What if your child's bedtime monster were actually real? Huh? Did that give you chills? Very good. Yeah. So this this film, um, the first thing I just want to say is if anybody has seen uh, Intruders, which I think, by the way, is a much lesser film. That's the one with Clive Owen from 2011. This reminds me a little bit of that film in that way. And um, I would, I just want to say right up front, and then before I kick it over to you guys, I believe that this is the sinister of 2014. Wolfman Josh. Yes, yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't put it up quite as high as Sinister, but I mean, this thing is a close, like, second, it's like a close cousin to it. I mean, it is so um, related to that film to me. But, but Wolfman Josh, what did you think of The Babadook? You know, I, it was impressive. It was scary. I, there was a lot of drama in it, a lot of great character development, which I appreciate. I will say it was hard for me to get past one thing, and that's the fact that um, a good friend of mine, a director, Nick Peterson, recently did a film called The Visitant um, starring Amy Smart. And um, it also featured Doug Jones as this monster. Now, for people who don't know who Doug Jones is, you would recognize him as the fawn or the pale man that puts his hands up over his face in Pan's Labyrinth. You might recognize him as Abe from the Hellboy movies. Um, He's just a great actor who, who performs in costume most of the time. And um, he plays this creepy monster in the visitant. Um, You know, I, I can't tell you why without spoiling either film, but the plot of these movies is almost identical. And so um, it was very difficult for me to watch The Babadook and not think about um, Nick's film, The Visitant. Now, Nick, he wasn't only making this little short film. He also had this whole um, world that surrounded it with a video game. And 
and all these supplementary materials. And so um, I actually asked him if he could come on the show tonight and talk about the com- the comparison between the two films, if he thought his film had been kind of uh, borrowed from or, or not. And so um, he's actually couldn't make it tonight, but he is going to join us on our next episode and talk about those things. But he did tell me he saw the Babadook and he enjoyed it a lot. Um, again, you know, maybe because the films are so similar, <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I, unfortunately I feel like that was a big detractor for me in watching it because that was just on my mind in the forefront the entire time. Okay. So I'm not, I guess, challenging you here, but do you think that's a fair criticism or are you just saying that that is something that you couldn't, Oh, you just couldn't overlook it. It's kind of in the way for you. <sighs> Well, there are things that the Babadook did better. There are also things that the Visitant did better, and so those are um, mm. hard to not, you know, notice. Gotcha. Also, you know, I was also wondering much of the time did the Babadook rip off my friend's movie, so that was kind of, you know, a negative. I guess it's not that I didn't enjoy the movie. I just never, I never got sucked into the experience, and so. There were a few times, and it had to do with the the performances um, were the main reasons. You know, you get sucked into this film, I think. Um, but it was hard for me to just kind of let myself go and experience this movie. Okay. All right. What do you think of it, Doctor Shock? I was uh, I was very impressed with it. Um, uh, I, the performances are a big reason why, but I thought it did have some very uh, eerie scenes as well. Um, you know, relating to the the Babadook, um, and I, I really liked how they how they handled the young character. You know, the the the, the young boy in this uh, at the at the at the outset of the film, you want to smash this kid's head into a wall. You know, he's he's like <laughs> such an annoying little kid, but then they sort of do a do a switch up there. You know, once uh, once things start getting uh, get pr- getting pretty heavy, um, that uh, that I thought was really interesting. Uh, but no, I I was really I was really drawn into the film, and um, I thought it was I thought it was really something special. Mm-hmm. Me too. I mean, this one has had a lot of buzz this year. For those who aren't aware, I mean, this is something that I would call that I would consider a supernatural film done right. I get really sick of supernatural film and, you know, horror films and the, you know, the the mainstream cinema. But this one is done very well. And actually, it's an Australian horror film. It was filmed in South Australia. And its writer-director is a female, Jennifer Kent. And to my knowledge, we don't get a ton of um, female directors, period, in the cinema compared to the ratio of male directors, but especially in horror cinema. And and this was actually her debut writing and directing a feature film, at least according to IMDb. So I was very impressed with that. Mm -hmm. And the reason... I would I would just also would say I wouldn't necessarily call it a mainstream film. It was, you know, it was an independent film. It screened at Sundance. And so, um, you know, it wasn't just like a another studio paranormal movie or anything. Right. Well, and and maybe maybe that's why it's better, but I'm not sure why that criteria. I mean, why are we not getting good paranormal movies in the mainstream cinema? That's that's what's bugging me. It's like if we're going to do paranormal movies, let's do them like this or like Sinister, well, you know. Yeah, I think part of the you know, when you get into the the mainstream, they're shooting for a PG-13, they're 
They're trying to get as many, you know, and I don't think, and, and a lot of them are cookie cutter anymore. You know? Yeah. They're not taking chances. They're not, right. they're not doing original ideas. They're trying to copy whatever the last success was. And so I think you, I think that's why you see, I mean, you know, it's no surprise to me that um, the Blair Witch Project was an independent film and then became extremely copied. Um, Saw was an independent film and then became extremely copied. Also hostile was as well. Um, and then you have uh paranormal activity was an independent film and then gets copied a lot in the mainstream. So it's like, it just comes in waves and you have to wait for the next independent filmmaker to do something interesting. And then the studios will try to make 15 of those and capitalize on the popularity. Yeah. It's, it, again, it's, it's, it's just sort of their, their treatment of horror in a way as 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 a secondary, you know, it's it's never the the concentration for a lot of the studios. They're just, uh, well, we can make some quick quick cash if we copy this formula. We don't even need any real big name stars in it, and uh, let's just throw it out there and uh, make it for eight million, and we could probably turn a profit of forty million or whatever the case may be. You know, I mean, even uh, even the horror movies that that underperform make a profit because of of what they're the money they're sinking into it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and again, it's just it's like okay, let's let's make a little bit of money over here while we concentrate on these projects over here. Again, it's just the mainstream. That's why I think most of the original, most of the very interesting ideas are are coming out of independence as far as horror is concerned and and a lot of the people even the ones who are working in mainstream and doing interesting things got their start in horror i mean got their start in independence i i agree with that and what's funny and ironic to me is that even though we find a lot of the greatest things in indie horror cinema now uh, i always tend to have more faith at least if it has a wide a wide Bread theater release and I'm always excited and I don't know why I just got to stop thinking yeah, that way. <laughs> I'm, I'm finding it the I'm finding it the opposite way. Like the, like that like the the Babadook. I would have paid to see this, but I don't know that I would ever pay to go to have gone seen uh, what Ouija right in the theater. Even if it's even if it ended up being you know somewhat decent, it just seemed to me like okay, let's throw let's okay we'll put a jump scare here, jump scare here, jump scare here. Uh, put some kids in there. Uh, you know, it just seemed like that that they just they pulled out the the formula, said plug all this in here and let's release it. And that's what that movie from just from the trailer. Yeah, you you got that feeling from that movie. Yeah, and and that's why I didn't see that in the theater. I'm waiting on Redbox for that puppy. But maybe maybe it's just a bad trailer. I mean, maybe we'll be dazzled, Doc. But um, I'm. I don't. I'm not holding out hope, but I guess it's possible. <laughs> so here's something I want to talk to you guys about with the Babadook. First of all, I think that's an extremely bold title. Now, unless I'm just not aware of it, and may- maybe Babadook is the name of the boogeyman in Australia. Maybe that's another name, but it's really kind of bold to name your scary movie after like just a silly sounding name like that. And for the listeners who are just very curious about where that comes from you know of course that's the monster that this little boy is afraid of and we see um, what is presumably a children's book called Mr. Babadook and that book even the children's book is very creepy and unsettling if I found that in my kid's room and read it (laughs) I would I would be so freaked out and it even starts off sort of like a regular book little pop-up things and 
and it just gets really dark as as you're reading it, and the, and the mother ends up just, just shutting it, saying, "What is?" It? I mean, you, you even saw as she's reading it the, after she's done, the kid is screaming his head off. She's got to go to a to to one of the kid friendly stories about you know <laughs> princesses and or whatever to try and calm him down. And I wonder if that this idea, um, either it you know it may have been ripped off from Josh's friend Nick. Or, or maybe it came, you know, part of the whole story concept came from the fact that a lot of our, you know, Grimm's fairy tales and a lot of these things that we tell our children are actually very dark and unsettling yeah. stories. And I wonder if right. she was riffing on that. Um, I guess there's no way to really know unless we interviewed her, but I'm just speculating there. Um, and by the way, I just, I just want to clarify, because I did email Nick right after I saw the movie. And I said, so, because I don't, well, the first thing I did actually after I saw the movie is I went to his website to watch um, The Visitant, which is up on his website. And um, when I went there, it was taken down and it said, due to circumstances out of our control, this video is not available for the next little while. So I was like, oh, they're planning a lawsuit or something. Oh. <laughs> so then I, so I emailed him and I said, have you seen the, or I said, so did the Babadook, uh, are you suing the Babadook? And he said, that's so funny you asked that. I just, I just finished watching it and he's like, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I don't, you know, I don't have any proof or anything that they ripped us off. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that. And he's not saying that. I just, you know, the, the similarities, there were so many similarities. It was just hard to not notice it. I see. Wow. When was Nick's film released? What did you say on that? He did it in, he did it in May, I think of 2013. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so it's possible. definitely possible as you saw, and and I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. I told you guys, but John Heater, who um, it plays Napoleon Dynamite in the in the movie Napoleon Dynamite, mm-hmm. is one of the producers on the film, and he was involved in the Kickstarter campaign. So I know they had a lot of people. They got a lot of press because John Heater was involved with it. Yeah, um, and the star is Amy Smart, and so people obviously know Amy Smart and Doug Jones as well. So it got right. passed around quite a bit. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's very um, possible. So yeah. if we ever talk to Jennifer Kent, then maybe yeah, we yeah. should ask the hard questions and say, Jennifer Kent, <laughs> did you rip this off from The Visitant? There's another right. funny thing. There's a, there's a 2014 feature film called The Visitant um, that also seems like it has some similarities as well. It's almost like if you mixed the two versions of The Visitant, you would get the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> weird. That's yeah, that so weird. weird. Well, one of my favorite things about the Babadook here is that it's it has that familiar theme where once again um, things are very bad for this character. I mean, you've got a mother and a son, and she is a widowed mother, and she's really struggling with her son. Her son is struggling, and here horror happens to those who deserve at least, and um, that is such a great concept in horror that I particularly love. And I, I thought about this a long time for this review. I almost like, um, <laughs> and, and I have thought better of it. I hope you guys don't think this is a cop out, but there are a lot of, a lot of parallels in my own life. I've had experiences in my life that parallel some things in this movie that made it extra disturbing for me personally. And I thought, Hmm, I wonder if I should like overshare on the podcast and make everybody feel uncomfortable. And I decided not to. 
but <laughs> but I'll, I'll just suffice to say that there are, there are things that occur. <laughs> It'd just be weird. I'm like, how would that go over? Because I'm not bashful about sharing personal details about my life. But it's like, yeah, but still people will probably think, wow, Jay of the Dead thinks this is like psychiatry hour on horror movie <laughs> podcast or something weird. So just, you know, suffice to say that there are uh, some really unsettling parallels in this movie with things that I've experienced. And so it really rings true to me, even though it's a supernatural horror film, um, there are some kernels of truth in it that make it even more unsettling. <laughs> see, mm, see how awkward it gets. Like I didn't even say anything. No, I actually had to, I actually had to mute cause I was coughing for a second. There, okay. I don't want you to think I was, I was just blowing you off there. I did. That's, that's what I did. But, um, no, I, I tell you what, this, the way it depicts this, this, this mother just sort of almost like sleepwalking through her life in a way. Um, you know, she goes to her job, um, you know, with, with, uh, with dealing with, with the son. I mean, the son keeps things interesting, obviously. Um, you know, that, that she gets called to school because he brought this, what would really be a very dangerous dart gun. I mean, this thing he made where he would, he could shoot darts mm-hmm. at people um, that, that, that he pulled out at school. Uh, so she, he keeps it sort of interesting for her with, with the way he behaves. Uh, but just everything in her life, it's just, it's just by the numbers in a way, you know? Uh, like It's almost like she died the same day that her husband died seven years earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, and that they, they laid out that that's why she doesn't celebrate, um, the son's birthday on the day of his birth, because it's the same day that her husband died. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that even what got me is even a scene. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to get too, but there's a scene where, um, a, a masturbation scene. Okay. Mm-hmm. But even that isn't played up as, as overly joyous, you know, or, or, or exciting for her. It's just sort of almost like a routine thing mm-hmm. in, in a way. Yeah. She's so lonely and, and so just, um, just overwrought and just, just filled with despair basically. Yeah. I mean that, that scene has a real like echo, a real hollowness to it. I know what you mean. Yeah. As doc mentioned that the husband is deceased and, it makes you wonder. One thing I really enjoy about this film is because, like, it's one of those horror movies which, you know, one of the characters is aware of a monster and the other characters are skeptical, right? And they don't believe there's a monster. Uh-huh. And so you wonder, you know, who's right? And you really suspect that this kid is probably seeing a real monster or he's just freaking nuts. But, you know, as Doc said, he builds weapons and things to prepare to fight this monster. But, um, What's interesting is it leaves you with so many questions and it makes you wonder, is this, is this Babadook possibly the husband haunting or something sinister? And, and um, you know, if it's set in more in reality and, and I won't reveal which it is or what it is, but I think that's really interesting how this film kind of keeps you guessing along the way. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I and they even kind of tie it in there at some point. I don't want to get too deep into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with the husband in a way. Right. Um, but I really liked the, 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 the way that the, this Babadook was depicted. 
I mean, you do get to see it a few times. Yeah. And uh, the motions that it makes and um, the, the, you know, the way it's designed, it's designed as if it would be something from a children's book in a way. Mm-hmm. But yet it still manages to just – you're just kind of like, wow. Yeah, the hair stood up on the on the back of my neck when I was watching yeah. this. Like, and yeah. when I went to bed, I always check on my kids and stuff. I'm like, oh, that stupid movie. I'm not excited about going into their room and checking on them and stuff <laughs> because, because of that. It had that effect on me. And so this yeah. is a, a creepy little film for sure. But Wolfman Josh, I wanted to ask you about the um, the technical prowess of this film, like the execution of it. I mean, am I right? Do you think that this just the the lighting? I think this looks gorgeous. The film is mm-hmm. beautiful. The grays and the blues in the house. I just think it's executed so well. No, absolutely. I mean, I think it's you know, it's not it's not anything. I don't know how to put it. It's it's not flashy. shockingly good. Yeah, it's not flashy. There's nothing particularly interesting about it. It's well executed. I think to me, what was most interesting was the portrayal of the Babadook and some of these like night sleeping and scare kind of montages that they would do or like time mm-hmm. lapses that, that was when it felt kind of otherworldly. That stuff was really great. Um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of unsettling. Yeah. What about, um, you know, if you look, if any of the listeners, I'm sure they've at least seen the cover art, the poster art for this. If you look at it, you can kind of get a sense of the shape of this character which is interesting because we've seen that shape in other things before, by the way, like um, uh, for example, in some Bugs Bunny cartoons, there's a very similar character that, to this that looks kind of like this. But anyway, I, well, I, they I, show I that, almost got the, show the, the, the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way the, fa- the way the face and everything look, I was thinking of Caligari. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of. Um, parallels to other things and yeah there are cartoons in this horror film as well which I love when cartoons are in horror films I love it but but something that they did with that is they riff on it quite a bit because there are lots of um, hats and coats that are hanging up in the background and some of them are shown explicitly but if you watch this film really carefully sometimes they don't underscore it and there's just like a hat and a coat in that shape in the background and it's it's very subtle and i think that it'd be really easy for people to miss it but the babadook imagery is in this film i think more than than you might realize because you know they show it both explicitly and implicitly agreed yeah it's cool what about the the themes in this like um one of the major themes that i picked up that i loved is the the taxing nature of parenthood and how um, children, just by their nature of being so dependent, they can actually, like, <laughs> you know, uh, tax someone's life, you know, at the parent's expense and really be just a, a very difficult burden. And I say that so lovingly, but I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that that theme resonates in this film. And I, so I think it's interesting, like with the, um, you know, the personal massager scene and with this theme, it's like, it's neat because it's like, yeah, maybe maybe there is a, a a feminine perspective here or a woman's sensibility about this film. Too far? No, I I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I know uh, I know what you're saying. I didn't really look at it from that perspective, but I think, uh, yeah, I see where you're coming from. 
I mean, I think to me it was very relatable as a as a parent, and then it gets to the point of being scary, and then it's kind of this feeling of there's a moment where you're like, oh, like I can see a little bit of myself in this, and then you're like, oh, I hope I can never see any of myself in this. Like, there's it just it rides that line for a little while mm-hmm. to make right. it relatable, and then it just pushes it so far over the line that um that you know then it becomes terrifying basically yeah if you're a parent this will probably freak you out a little bit it did for me and i also like the disconnect i mean you you know it's definitely you see the kind of way i mean the way i took what you're saying is kind of how difficult parenting can be um but you also see the disconnect with the child and how he you know the the parents aren't really aware of what he's going through like you don't you know the the adults aren't really don't really understand um, the experience that he's having, and especially as the film progresses, you start to wonder how much is this kid experiencing that, you know, that no adults are, um, are there for him, you know, are, uh, mm-hmm. are aware of. And, and Josh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that actually is one of the things that I found the most troubling about this movie in, in a good way, because it's like, what if it made me think, What if the people that we deem as crazy or, you know, mentally disturbed or whatever, what if they are just really in reality haunted by something real and evil (laughs) like like this kid? Because a lot of people dismiss this kid as kind of a nut job. And it's like, yeah, uh oh, maybe these people aren't crazy. Maybe they're just tormented. (laughs) Right. But this kid really was. And you got to give, I guess, some some credit to the to the to the child actor too, um, because I oh, think I felt I felt really bad for the child actor that he had to experience as much of this as he did. Yeah, yeah, and and he and he did it with, and he did a he did a good job. I mean, early on, like I said, you really do not like this kid. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's really getting on your nerves, and and you could. You can see why the mother is sort of withdrawing in a way, you know. I mean, she was still kind of there for the kid. She defended him to to others. Yet uh, privately, you always, you know, there's a scene, really telling scene, where he gives her a big hug, and mm-hmm. she's almost like, "Okay, don't do that," <laughs> yeah. you, you know. But 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 still trying, still acting kindly towards him. Mm-hmm. Um, where you kind of see, okay, well, maybe this is what's causing this kid to, you know, or, or I'm sure this is what's causing this kid to lash out like he does. And then later on, we find out, well, no, there's something else as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, I had considered playing an audio clip for the listeners of the Babadook's voice, but I ultimately decided against it. And I'll tell you why and see if you guys agree with this or not. But I thought, you know, part of the effectiveness of this movie is the the spell, you know, that it weaves, the tone that it that it builds, and that's why, you know, it leads you into it and affects you in a certain way. Because, like, for example, if if you just like handed that Babadook book to someone and just said, Read this, it might not creep them out as much as it does within the context of this film. And so, and and maybe somebody might view that as a spoiler if we reveal the voice. And even though I think the voice is creepy and effective, and I was going to play it on here, but I'm like, you know, I don't want to spoil it. And they'll be listening to it cold and not within the context of the film. Do you guys think that's the right choice? I do. I I I think that you know what that that would be something to experience, like you're saying, as you're watching. 
okay. the movie because it comes at, and it comes at a specific point like later on too. It's it's not like it's and it does it's not overused. I don't think throughout the movie. Right. Yeah, it's used very sparingly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but as far as criticisms though, I was going to tell you guys. I, I really noticed, I mean, I was so engaged. I watched this when I was extremely tired, but I was just wide awake and just, I was into this movie. But then at about, right about the 60 minute mark, about an hour in, I just felt like it kind of started running out of steam a little bit and, and at least started running out of ideas. It started seeming a little redundant. It's a little bit repetitive for me and even though the ending's intriguing and I don't really understand where it ultimately goes, if I'm being honest, I think it's interesting, but um, I was a little bit disappointed, you know, compared to the front of the movie, which really builds a great journey. What did hmm. you guys think? I mean, did you think it lost steam or not? I thought it lagged in the middle a little bit, but I thought it ended extremely strong. So, yeah, okay. I, I agree. I thought it ended very well. Okay. I I enjoyed the ending of the movie. I know uh, there were a few things that were set up that I just that I thought would for sure play out that didn't, and I suppose that's a pleasant surprise that it's not cookie cutter. But I also feel like it could have been a little bit scarier or more interesting if some of those things that they set up had played out. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can do like a twenty second spoiler edition at the end of this review where we can just talk really quickly about a few things. But, yeah. yeah, and I could what I could do is tack it on to the very end of this episode <laughs> so people can listen to the whole show and not hear the spoiler section, you know. So yeah, that'd be good because I, I think this is a movie that's um worth going into spoilers. So we won't talk about spoilers yet. We'll put it at the very end of the entire episode, everybody. But um so before we get to that though, um Kyle Bishop would classify this as a quote unquote Serious horror film, right? <laughs> so that's good. Um, this almost skates the line. This has a little bit of um, the little bit of the feel of a possession movie. It's very disturbing, and so um, you know, any anything else that you guys think think would help the listeners have a picture well, of this film? I, I, what I thought was interesting is how there is a, for a time there. It sort of skates that line between. Is this supernatural or is this psychological horror? Yes, yes. You know, where, where you're just not quite sure. I think it skates a lot the there. entire time. I mean, I don't. I guess it depends on how you take the ending and if you take it literally or figuratively. Um, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I see what I, you're right. It probably it does skate it most. It does skate it most of the time. First, from the child's perspective, and then um, obviously from the mother's. When it seems like she starts to either share his, um, you know, share these experiences that he's having, or begins to experience what he's already been experiencing, you know, and it's really, I guess, you, you just have to, like you say, you have to decide: is this, is this happening, or is this just something that's that's kind of in their in their head? Did you take um, this as literal, Jason, or did you take it as um, symbolic? I guess. Well, um, you know what? I, I, <laughs> I took it as literal towards the end. I'm sorry to jump in there. Go ahead. But I took it as literal towards the end. The very, very end? Well, the, 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 up at, like, leading up to the very end, I'd say maybe the last, what would it be, the last 15 minutes of it, uh, maybe just guessing. Okay. 
Yeah. I started looking at it as, as a legitimate supernatural event is how I was looking at it. See, I'm still wrestling with it. And so I'll have to answer your question by thinking out loud during the spoiler section. But <laughs> so is that okay. is that cool if we do that? Because um, otherwise mm-hmm. I won't be able to give you anything even remotely intelligent. So the only, the only thing I would say to the audience, you know, who who should see this movie before listening to any spoilers I think um, whether this is straightforward and literal or whether this is psychological, it's almost equally as scary mm-hmm. yeah. um, yes. either way. And so it's That's not, definitely. it's not as though it takes anything away if it's like all in their heads or something. Yeah. It works. Correct. It works both ways. Totally. And, and, and just saying that right there was not a spoiler. We assure you, because honestly it is um, ambiguous and probably just up to the viewer really how you interpret the inv- the events and i mean i think we have different opinions and so i think that's interesting right away that we've all we've all seen the movie and we don't think it's the same ending yeah so. yeah that is interesting so before we jump into our ratings here and, it, and once again if you want to hear spoilers on this it's at the very end of the episode but i also wanted to point out that in the credits in the the end crawl um they they gave a big thanks to all the Kickstarter supporters. So if you're wondering if Kickstarter pays off or ever helps worthy projects, I would say the Babadook is one example of one such project. So um, let's jump into ratings, you guys, and turn it over to Dr. Shock. What do you rate the Babadook? Um, I, I always hate to come in really high on a first viewing, but I don't have any glaring negatives to drag it down so i gotta go with a nine and i say check this out any chance you get i mean any way you can you know it's it's available on amazon right now Mm -hmm. um you know definitely check it out there um i mean if like i was saying there's there's so much stuff so much of of this this run-of-the-mill horror being released to the theaters wide releases um from this from the studios you want to throw your money behind something worthwhile, the Babadook is it, in my opinion. This is where you should, your money should go because you're going to be – this is the type of horror movie I think most horror fans are, are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, so st- let, let Ouija die us. I think it's already dead, to be honest with you. I don't think it's even <laughs> out in theaters anymore. But let those kind of movies die their slow death. And instead, give your money to uh, to something like the Babadook, and and it is available on Amazon, and 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 I that's that's where I saw it, and uh, check it out, and I will be picking this up on, uh, I'm guessing Blu-ray when it's finally released. I think it's IFC who um, who um, is distributing this here in the U.S. and and I always like their um, their releases, so I'll yes. be picking oh, yeah. this up on Blu-ray too. Yeah, IFC Midnight, and I think it's hilarious. By the way, the way the way that we three, well, at least Doc and I have done it. Serious film critics were very serious about this, and we kick around Ouija having never even seen it. But <laughs> but uh, anyways, we'll give it a fair we'll give it a fair review one day, won't we? One of these days, won't we? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, no, I I totally agree with you. So, are you telling people to buy this then, Doc? Oh yeah, absolutely. Buy it. Okay, very good. Thank you. And what do you say, Wolfman Josh? Well, I just wanted to share a, a funny statistic, really quick, or a funny bit of trivia, I suppose. Um, if you go to movie or horrormoviepodcast.com, dot com, there's a little poll on the sidebar, 
and it says, what is the scariest horror movie ever made? <laughs> and right now the leading film is the exorcist um, with 39% of our listenership having voted for the exorcist as the scariest movie ever made. Well, there was an article in the guardian. Um, let's see that went to print on December 2nd. So that was yesterday as of our recording. Um, and it says the Babadook is the scariest film I've ever seen. says exorcist director. So um, <laughs> William Friedkin <laughs> came out and said, um, let's see, he's got a great quote here. <laughs> he says, uh, Psycho, Alien, Diabolique, and now The Babadook. I've never seen a more terrifying film than The Babadook. It will scare the hell out of you as it did me, and he's offering to host screenings of this so that people will watch it and come, <laughs> nice. come out and see the film based on him kind of like being a supporter of it. Okay, now let can I comment on that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, I got some passionate, strong opinions about this. See, that is such a double-edged sword with when it comes to like criticism and, and recommending films and trying to champion a film because, you know, you want people to see it so bad. You want to appreciate it and love it, and you put it out there. I mean, I've done this with movies, of course, and the problem is you just build it up too much and no matter what people see, it's not going to live up to what they were expecting given the comments, especially like like this. So I, I think Friedkin meant well and I believe that he was probably being sincere, of course, but it, it's unfortunate because I, I would just like to say to the listeners of Horror Movie Podcast, you know, I don't think it's all that, guys. I mean, I think it's great, but don't expect the scariest film you've ever seen. Let's temper expectations a little bit. What I think, I think if you're a parent, this will affect you 100% more than if yeah. you're not a parent. True. I think yeah. that is a major factor, and you finding this scary and disturbing. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And I also think it's interesting that after those introductions you gave us, Jay, you're calling for restraint. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I said about you guys was true. What Friedkin said, I don't know if that's true or not. You know? Here's here's my feeling about this movie. I think it is really good. It is a small film. So, yeah, I mean, I think comparing it to some of cinema's greats at this point is hard to do. But I think if you look at the young actor in this movie, Daniel Henshaw is his name, I believe. Uh -huh. Is that right? This kid gives one of the best child horror movie performances of all time, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yes. Essie and Davis gives one of the great female horror movie performances, maybe one of the best hor female horror movie performances. Yeah. But the film in, its, in and of itself is a small movie. It's not necessarily going to blow everyone's mind. I think it's a very effective little film. I think, again, if you have children, it's going to affect you even more. Um, it's definitely worth seeing. And I think it is a film that has some lasting power. I think it will kind of be a classic, but you know, it, it succeeds on its own terms, but I don't think it's very ambitious. I think, it's not, it doesn't try to accomplish much, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's a very small contained story. So, I mean, I, I, I would give it an eight. I think it um, does everything it's trying to do well. My only thing I'm really holding against it is if they ripped it off from Nick Peterson, then I give it a zero. But <laughs> <laughs> barring, barring that, I think this is a classic film. You know, I, I think it, I think it will be a, a classic film in the future. So. Wow, so it's an 8 out of 10, and do you tell people to buy it? 
Um, I think I think wait, yeah, and buy it um, on Blu-ray. I bet it will be a great looking Blu-ray. Oh um, yeah. yeah, no doubt about that. Um, so I just want to comment on. By the way, I love. Like I would say, don't watch it in the theater. Actually, I feel like this is a film that would be wow. way scarier watching it at home. <laughs> it, uh, that's where I saw it, obviously, and I, it it worked here. So I don't disagree with you. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. That's great. Uh, I I love I love what you said, Wolfman Josh, and I really agree with what you said. Um, I and on Essie Davis's performance, she plays the mother in this. Oh, wow, how does she go from, you know, at, at some point she actually looks, you know, attractive and lovely and so forth, and then you know, motherly and tender, and then she goes to pathetic, and then crazy and then downright scary i mean it's it's like wow how does she have that's quite a range and i would agree that was not hyperbole when when wolfman said that i would i would say she probably is in the top 10 this performance is probably in the top 10 female performances in a horror film I, i would agree with that i would too yeah that's amazing okay as for me, once again, like I mean, people don't understand how much I really appreciated and respected Sinister. Um, and again, I'll say it: this is a supernatural film done right. I, I actually love this film, <laughs> um, and I'd call it a. I, I think what Josh said was really true about this is this is going to end up being a classic when it's all said and done. When the smoke clears, I mean, we've got a lot of hype on this movie this year. So I'm worried, guys. I'm still worried that people are going to go into this thinking, oh, this is the horror movie of the year. I mean, because that's what I was thinking. I but- think this is a high potential of disappointment, actually. As, <laughs> and then it has, I think it has equally high potential to become a classic. It's weird. Uh-huh. Yeah, and what you said was so accurate. And I'm sorry to keep, you know, just chiming in on what you said. But um, when you said it was a small film, that's really true. It is a small film. And when when you say that, let's see. Let's try to define that for people. What do you mean by s- small film? Not overly ambitious, right? Not a lot of new concepts that we haven't seen before. Like you were talking about the cinematography. The cinematography looks nice. There are very few shots in the movie that you will remember because like, holy cow. It's not that kind of a movie. It's just perfectly done for what it's trying to accomplish. Yeah, simple. You know, I I hate to compare it to this movie, um, but if you compare this to The Shining, <laughs> which it kind of you know is relatable relatable to The Shining pretty easily, I think. Um, yes, that is a movie that is large in scope. They're both contained in one location for the most part, but that is a huge scope movie um, from the way the camera moves to the. Uh, set design. Um, this is this is the tiniest version of that. It's like if you chose one closet in the Overlook Hotel and told the entire story <laughs> inside that closet. The only reason I brought it up is because of the scope. Because that you asked what a small movie is to me. Mm-hmm. You can have a one location movie and it can be a big movie. <laughs> you know, uh, most one location movies you would probably say are a small movie. The Shining is an example oh. of doing the same type of story in a and feeling really huge, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that was an excellent way to put it. Anyway, my as far as my rating, I'm I'm giving this an eight out of ten, and I say uh, buy the Babadook for sure because I think it's something that you'll probably 
revisit from time to time, show it to people from time to time. I don't think it'll be an annual watch, but maybe once every two or three years, probably come back to it. Uh-huh. All right. And, and it's interesting how you mentioned, um, you know, the female director. There aren't many uh, movies, um, horror movies from, the, I mean, obviously the Soska twins uh, are, are putting some out with like American Mary uh, and I think Ravenous uh, was directed. Was it Antonia Burr? I can't remember. I know that that was directed by uh, that, had, that was a female director. But you're right; there aren't too many of them. This has got to be right at the top of the list, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, just and for being an, an initial effort, that's really impressive. Yeah, I totally agree with you. At this point in episode 36, it's after midnight in Utah, and I'm joined by the Wolfman, Josh Legary. Because this is a Frankensteinian episode, we've actually recorded these segments in this whole episode at different times, so you'll notice that sometimes Wolfman is with me, and sometimes Doc is with me, and sometimes both of them, and it's awesome. So anyway, let's move on to our feature review of a horror film that just opened in theaters today, well, Friday, I mean, December 5th. And this is The Pyramid. It has been called the curse of the pharaohs. Vengeance against adventurers who disturbed the sacred tombs of the pyramids. 1699, a Polish ship carrying two mummies is haunted by spectral visions and brutal storms. 1803, four expedition members enter Khafre's pyramid, never to emerge. 1922, Tutankhamun's tomb is opened, and a series of horrifying deaths befall the excavation team. For the next 91 years, no other tombs are disturbed. Tell them not to open it up yet. Tell them to hold off. Until now. Okay, now that portion of the trailer that you just heard is not overly indicative of the film. They did a great job with that opening portion, but then... Don't watch anything beyond what you just heard because like every other horror trailer, they just give away too many of the scares and surprises and stuff. But So Josh, The Pyramid is the directorial debut of Gregory Lavasseur. Yes. And uh, he is better known as the writer of High Tension, The Hills Have Eyes remake, P2, which we're going to be reviewing in our next episode. Yes. Uh, Mirrors in the new Maniac remake. He's Alexander Aja's partner, basically. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Aja produced this one. That's exactly right. And I love love him. But the premise is, and you just yell if you want to add anything in here. When a three-sided underground pyramid is unearthed in Egypt in August of 2013, a father and daughter archaeological team oversees its excavation and a small two-person documentary film crew is going to document all their work and exploration on this discovery. But when civil unrest flares in nearby Cairo, the project is shut down and everyone is ordered to leave the pyramid. But before they have to go, the archaeologists and the documentary crew get lost inside and face unimaginable perils. (laughs) So that's the premise. (laughs) And us. I'm so mad already you don't like this, but Josh, here's why I like, let me just tell you up front and then I want you to just lay it on me. I, here's why I like this. You liked this movie? I did. I did. Oh in my fact, gosh. And because you liked as above, so below so much, I can't believe 
you didn't well, like this. My first comment was going to be, this just proves how good As Above, So Below was. Well, by comparison. I, you're going to get mad right now. So, okay, here's what I was going to say. This is a horror film, and specifically, I'm happy to report it's my kind of movie because it's a survival horror film. It has some situational horror, and it's also a beastly freaks film. And I say freaks, plural. And I would describe the pyramid as a blend between As Above, So Below and The Descent, but it's better than the former and not as good as the latter. You're out of your mind. (laughs) Okay, tell me. Tell it. Everything about this movie is wrong. Oh, it's so bad. I like how it starts out okay. It's fine. Although I don't buy the documentary filmmaker for a second. She's the biggest over actor I've ever seen in a movie of recent times, especially in this. Okay. Which one thing you didn't mention when you talked about all the different genres this is, is it's a fake found footage movie. It's pretending to be a found footage movie, but it completely falls apart almost instantly in terms of keeping to the rules of found footage. But can we just can we just put it out there on the table even with exists which we love. I mean there's this tre- trend now where found footage is just very laxed and very sloppy. That convention is just, you know, they put it in wherever they want. You got camera angles to switch around all the time. They break the rules. And then you have conventionally shot footage. So, I mean, what's the point of doing found footage if you're not really trying to make it a found footage, you know, film? I don't mind a combination of found footage and conventionally shot footage, just so long as we're not supposed to be believing that we're seeing this all in a found footage sort of way. Do you know what I mean? Like it would be okay with me if we're just watching a movie, but then we all, and, and our protagonists are also making a movie and we occasionally see what they're seeing. So long as we're not supposed to believe that this was found and this movie sets it up as though this is supposed to be found. I don't know what your beef is with exists. Is it just your stupid musical comment again? Well, I mean, yeah, he had non diegetic music in there. Well, and- yeah, but they're Jason. I can't talk. I can't tell you why without spoiling it for our audience. But they explain that at the end of the movie. So maybe, maybe it is distracting for you while you're watching it the first time. Yes. But it is consistent as a film. It's a solid work. This is total BS. Well, it it is it is sloppy. This is a very sloppy mixture, and I agree. And it's pointless since. You know, you've got these, you've got shots, like, for example, they'll be crawling through like a, a tunnel or a corridor thing. And then you've got shots where the, the camera is out beyond the front person and, and like shooting back at them. And it's like, okay, now where's the, I mean, what? It's a nice shot. And if they weren't trying to pass it off as found footage, you know what I mean? You know what I mean when I'm talking about that combination of it would be okay with me if overall we're watching a traditionally shot film, but there happens to be a huge amount of found footage or documentary, mockumentary, faux documentary footage within that film. Mm-hmm. You understand the difference of why I think that's okay, but th- but this film is that type of film to some degree, but they're trying to pass it off as found footage. And See, so that's way I, more troubling to me. I don't even think that that's okay, though, What you even what you described, because I think that, you know, found footage is rendered pointless and moot it doesn't even work at all that's why i said that's why i said faux documentary though yeah well i mean uh, uh, 
yeah, the documentary uh, premise is is pretty much the best or the closest you can come to a credible found footage film. But when you've got other stuff in there, I know what you're saying. Okay, you're talking about like B-roll shots, for example, right? That no, are, I'm saying that I'm, I'm saying it could you could have a movie. Let's pretend that the the format of or the subgenre of found footage doesn't exist for a minute. Let's pretend. Um, Blair Witch Project was never made. This isn't something we've ever discussed before. Even Waiting for Guffman is not a thing. We don't know what a faux documentary is. <laughs> okay. Right? We're just watching movies. It's completely credible that the subjects of your movie could be documentary filmmakers mm-hmm. or anyone with a video camera. And it's a great and creative directorial choice to go and see what those people's cameras are filming. I mean, this is something that they used to do with... Um, security cameras a lot before the whole found footage craze. Mm-hmm. You, there would be security cameras in a room that we would go inside that security camera and get to see what those cameras were seeing. Right. So it, it's a blending of, of the cameras um, that are shooting the movie we're watching and the cameras within that movie. And I think that's totally um, competent filmmaking. It's interesting. It's a, and, and so what I'm saying is, is you can easily have a movie that is even 25% traditional and 75% found footage. So long as the audience understands what you're watching and when you're supposed to be watching what you're watching. Right. The thing that changes it with found footage is the idea that it's found. Right. And that's, what's problematic because in in our culture now in our film going culture, people, people see found footage and they think this is supposed to be found. It's kind of unavoidable at this point. Yeah, but I mean, even if, okay, even if, um, let's say, the Blair Witch Project, for instance, minor spoilers for the Blair Witch Project. This is a movie that claims up front that it's found footage, but it doesn't mean it can't have non-diegetic music in it. That could just be the choice of the people who are presenting this found footage to you. Not, not, oft, not all the time, and especially not in the case of films like the Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity, are we supposed to believe we're seeing every bit of video there? It's clearly been edited. And so it's not outside of the realm of possibility that someone could have added music to this video footage that you're watching. Right. But you know what killed me on that point there is um, diary of the dead. The narrator girl explains, uh, this is what happened to our friends. They died. And we added scary music just to make it scarier for you. It's like, yeah, if your friends were killed by zombies, you wouldn't be adding music to make it more dramatic for people. Your friends wouldn't, but what if you were Werner Herzog? And what if you found footage of a guy who was attacked and killed by a grizzly bear? Yeah, he would. And what if you took and you made a movie and within your documentary, there's his found footage? This is a real movie, Jason. Yeah, he doesn't show it. I know you're talking about Grizzly Man, and he doesn't show it, nor does he even let you hear it, and nor does he put uh, tacky music behind it. There's just, music all over the movie. Right, but, there's music but, but not there. during the killing. He's expo- that doesn't matter. He's explaining matter. What, what he's hearing. That doesn't matter, though. It's a found footage movie that's a real life found footage movie mm-hmm. that builds up the tension, builds up the character, and uses music throughout. But but not in the distasteful areas, which is what I'm referring to here with with my complaint on what you're describing. I'm because- just saying anybody could find your friend's footage. It doesn't mean that Diary of the Dead's a terrible movie. I'm not going to defend it, but I'm saying there. <laughs> yes, it is. You could I could find footage of somebody 
and decide to go make a movie of it. And it doesn't just because you use music doesn't mean it's distasteful. Well, I know that, but the when it's presented, when found footage is presented in a horror film context, it's like this is what happened to these people. And and it's all solemn and, and it's like, you know, very serious business. So putting scary music in with it is is just I feel like that's just tacky or unrealistic or something. There's something artificial about that to me. But I guess okay. that's that doesn't matter. That's just my opinion. But okay, that's not really relevant to this movie. Although right, this movie right. did have non-diegetic music in it. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. But again, this goes beyond the bound. The the biggest problem with this movie for me is not the inclusion of traditional filmmaking, but that. It, the conclusion of traditional filmmaking and trying to pass that off is still somehow a found footage movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sloppy and kind of pointless, but my biggest gripe, see, I, I, this is not a perfect movie and it's actually very flawed. And I'm not even close to my biggest gripe yet. That's just just my introductory gripe. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, go ahead. I mean, go ahead. Do you want to go? Okay. Well, um, my my biggest gripe is the same gripe that I had with As Above, So Below, and that is tons and tons of clunky exposition by these archaeological, quote-unquote, experts who happen to know things that's really unlikely that they would know. And there are so many moments in this film where they stop, even, even in the midst of like life-threatening situations, and then they explain this backstory or whatever it is to try to, you know, bring you along in the story. And I'm like, man, that's clunky. It's obvious and it's unrealistic. It's just, it makes me nuts when that happens. I mean, in this movie in particular, it's like this movie would have been way better if they didn't have to explain the monsters. It's just like they're inside a freaking pyramid and there are freaking monsters in there. And that's scary. And that's all you need to me. Are there monsters in there or are there just giant CGI cartoons? Oh, come on. You're, you're, you're being very unkind. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, these monsters look terrible. You know, I, I honestly, and I don't like CG. I'm kind of like you. I'm hard on CGI and so forth, but you know, it's grainy. It's dark inside that pyramid and so forth. So, you know, they, they work well enough for me and I, they, they did at times creep me out. I feel like the monsters are not grainy. That seems to be a problem with them. They look like they're, uh, they don't look like they're part of the environment to me. I mean, I, you know, like call me old fashioned. There's a movie not too long ago called where the wild things are. (laughs) That is amazing where they used real giant (laughs) beasts, you know, made of fur and all kinds of horns and things like that. And then they put a little CGI face on there that, I'm sure it hasn't held up over time. I haven't gone back and revisited the movie. I'm sure it looks cheesy now. But at the time, I thought, you know, this is excellent. This is what I want to see. I believe <laughs> that there's something physical in the room with this kid. And and that's how I want I want a monster movie. A monster that big. And geez, man, go back to Exist that we talked about last week. Again, like that is a great monster. So, so did you want, did you want like a Carol which was the James Gandolfini character. You wanted sure. one of those things inside this pyramid because those were not scary at all and where the wild things are. Well, I want that version of this monster, which I won't spoil, but I think right. you, could, you could do a physicalized 
version of this monster. Even, I mean, look, going back as far as the Howling or Dog Soldiers, these are movies that have big beasts and, you know, they pull them off fairly well. They're not, yeah. like, the, the Howling looks, I'm actually not a fan of the, of the werewolves in the Howling in terms of their functionality, but I prefer the physical uh, you know, being in the room with it to me is what makes it scary. I just didn't believe for a second the alien. Oh my gosh! I mean, think about there's a scene with our one of our leads in a corridor when the monster is looking for this person. Mm-hmm. And if I just you imagine that and swap out the beast we have for even like a predator versus alien type movie, <laughs> <laughs> that is a great actually comparison. If you compare this to Predator versus Alien, which also takes place in a pyramid. Yeah, true. Look how much better that movie is than this. That's saying something. Mm. That's that's sad. No, I no, I wouldn't go that far at all. I would take this movie over Predator versus Alien any no day. Way. No way. I I can't think I can't. about that. Think about that Alien. Yeah, but that's just your pride. It's messing. With, I'm 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 talking like uh, what? Ving Rhames and Pulp Fiction. <laughs> oh, pride no, messing with you. This is this makes no sense to me. I can't believe that you loved and poured over. As above, so below, and you're so hard on this film. Because I remember, I was sitting in the theater as I watched this movie, and I thought, you know, Wolfman Josh is not going to love a lot of things about this movie, but it's a lot like As Above, So Below, so I think he'll give it a pass and call it fun. But you're there. There are a lot of things I liked about it, but I think it, to me it showed how correctly As Above, So Below handled some of these moments. This movie just got wrong. But this actually shows you monsters, whereas As Above, So Below hardly shows you anything at all in terms of like I mean, look, monstrous. Not, I'm not saying that movie is a perfect movie, but at least I bought into somewhat what I saw there. I didn't buy into this for a second. Never once did I feel like I'm looking at something real. Well, I, was, I, I was never scared one time during this movie in terms of what I'm seeing. The only scares that happen are the most BS jump scares that every movie does. I mean, geez, the trailers <laughs> for this movie. Before the movie, every single one was so annoying. It's like, oh, there's something that's really, really quiet. It's really, really quiet. Rawr! Like the same exact <laughs> screech sound. And that's the, this movie lives off of jump scares. There aren't any legitimate scares in this movie except for, you know, which which is the very effect of there's something behind us and we have to hurry to get down this corridor. That's always fun. And it always works. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But every other scare in this movie is just a jump scare. There's okay. nothing legitimately scary in the movie. Well, th- there is a major, major jump scare that comes out of nowhere that's huge. Are you talking about the one that looks like it's out of Legend? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think okay. I, I think we're talking about the same thing. Um, that one is huge, and you know you jumped on that. I guarantee you did. That's a big one. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't jump at all of them. I don't, I, I'm just saying I don't appreciate them. I don't think, you know, ultimately they don't look at It's just, it's just really loud. And yeah. So yeah, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm startled because I'm uncomfortable because it's so loud, but not because the movie's effective. Yeah. I mean the, in my, in my theater, the, they had the volume turned up a little bit more than normal. Like in, in most the, I mean, I go to the theater enough that I kind of have a sense of it, you know? the volume level and it was actually louder than other theaters but even even accounting for that which i am the jumps these are maybe the loudest jump scares i have ever seen or heard in a horror movie uh, these are so loud it's very obnoxious like yeah. they're grating like not only are they just loud but they're also grating like the sound design of the the jump scare noise 
is is very unpleasant. So that yeah. that's and a also complaint. think about the the most unsophisticated, like cliche type of jump scare you ever see in a horror movie, and that's what ninety percent of the jump scares in this movie are. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, a mi- that's a minor spoiler alert. I, I'm not a I'm I'm not a huge jump scare fan anyway. I don't really value that. But but back to the I wanted to defend something about the monster. You know, you said there is there is a scene where you get a close up of the monster and it is practical. Now it does yeah, and it doesn't look tremendous. No. It looks way below the thing, which is it's somewhat similar to at some point. And um Now are you talking about John Carpenter's the thing? Yeah. Really? Well, there's an element that's similar. I don't want to spoil what the element is. Okay. But. Well, that's, I don't know. That's and, funny. you know, it reminds me of the Howling actually a little bit, or there are some other uh, movies I could probably name, but I, I can't, I can't believe we're so divided on this. I, I, I loved, I, I, I just didn't feel like I, I, I love the premise. I think the premise was great. Right. I think the setup was fine. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was great. Um, I just think it, the more I, to me, I'm, I feel like as, as above, so below. The further and further along that movie went, the more and more sick to my stomach I felt, the less and less I wanted to be in that place, the more, you know, the more oppressive it felt. I never got that feeling once with this movie. It just got it just went kept going and going and going and nothing I never to me there was never a heightened sense of fear wow. or terror, especially no claustrophobia. Not and, even during a struck you know, where a scene where there's some structural integrity questionability <laughs> at the beginning like toward the beginning yeah toward the beginning i mean i was still on board with the movie at that point mm-hmm. i think I, I i think when one of our characters gets their face scratched is when i started going i started kind of taking points off of the movie it became it was it was that was the first time i was like oh that wasn't that good and then it kept getting worse and worse and worse and they got really bad like Toward the end. So, wow. I mean, I, I didn't want to dislike this movie. This is my kind of movie. I told you, I like Indiana. I like the idea of merging an Indiana Jones in a horror movie. <laughs> I, one of my fantasies would be to remake Universal's Mummy movie. I mean, that's uh, that, to me, that's just another reason this is disappointing because it's like it's going to be two decades before anybody wants to see another mummy related movie thanks to this steaming pile of. Well, no, 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 no. See, you're you're being way too hard on this, and and maybe, you know, I a lot of people, I, you know, I've seen comments, and a, a lot of people think this is a mummy movie, but it's really not a mummy movie. No, it should be a mummy movie. That's that's another problem it has. But but it's not, and so it's unfair of you. I mean, how is that well, fair to unf- the film if well, you're going and expecting that? I mean, I'm pointing at Jason here, but there's a mummy on the movie poster, so. That's that's one of the problems, but I mean that, that I had never watched a trailer for this movie. I had no idea what I was getting into, other than it was same, called Pyramid, same, and there was a, there was a mummy. Same so here. I thought this is awesome. But and, and they play around with a lot of the Egyptian mythology. It's not it's not far from being a mummy movie, and I like all of those elements. Yes. I don't think they're executed well at all, though. Like even the main set piece, which should be epic, is really disappointing in terms of the practical way it's being used. Yeah, I'm, I can give you that, but but real quick, and on compared this. to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, for instance, that 
is amazing. <laughs> like, and it's that movie is silly and cheesy, but compared to this, it <laughs> right. looks like right. gold. No, I see what you're saying there. Uh, and I'll, I will give you that for sure. But as far as like the e- Egyptian lore that it draws upon, yeah, I love that. But I, I think it's important that, that people don't think it's a mummy movie. And I, I did. I looked at the poster again after seeing the movie and I'm like, well, they see they see skulls inside of the the pyramid and stuff and they actually look like what's on the poster. So that's just showing you, you know, part of the, I guess, the decor of the inside of the pyramid. But uh, yeah, I could see where that would be misleading. And I think that's a, a real fault of the marketing in this because people are wanting to see a mummy movie. I read that in so many comments where it's like, yeah, I'll see a mummy movie, you know, and, and it's like, it's not a mummy movie, guys. But uh, let me let me defend why I think this movie's effective. In my top 10, Josh, of all-time favorite horror is The Descent. I love that freaking movie. It's amazing. And this is like the this Descent. pales in comparison. Yeah, well, yeah, this is much a much lesser movie than The Descent, but much lesser. But um the horror in both Okay, the horror comes from like two places, really. It comes from being um, lost inside of this place where the physical dangers of just exploring the environment are um, perilous. You have injuries, you have claustrophobia and all this other stuff. You have that. And that's scary in and of itself. And then on top of that, there are beastly freaks inside. And I love that premise. I mean... How can you complain too much when you've got those two things in a movie? Well, okay. <laughs> See, you love it now. The Descent has interesting characters. The characters have inter- inter- interesting interpersonal dynamics. The beastly freaks in that movie are scary. I would suggest there's barely beastly freaks in this movie. You know, if there are for maybe one or two scenes, well, maybe three scenes tops, is there a beastly freak in this movie? The rest of it is just... You know, something you could find at a pet shop, maybe. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I don't think, um, I don't uh-huh. really think that this is a, too scary. Again, I don't think there are any scares that come from the Beastly Freaks. The Descent is horrifying. Yes, and it I is. Don't, and this, there's not a moment in this movie, not one moment in this movie, where it is as scary as any encounter with a Beastly Freak in The Descent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this isn't, yeah, this and, is not and, as and, good. And, you know, the, the best things about this movie are when they're doing, I think, the, I think the best things about this movie is when they are looking at the old hieroglyphics and trying to figure out how they're going to get out of there. And when they're shimmying through tunnels that are tightly fit. But then again, that like that's where they don't do it even nearly as good as As Above, So Below. I mean, you take the claustrophobia level as As Above, So, so Below. I kind of sometimes suffer from claustrophobia. Like it's something that I that freaks me out a little bit, and I was physically uncomfortable, like breathing heavily during Azabo Sobolo. <laughs> I was just munching popcorn through this whole movie. There was nothing. I mean, well, that's it's just, nice. That's, <laughs> I mean, you had a pleasant movie going experience. That's good. That's valuable. I was bored. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you were not bored in this movie. I I was never scared after. I mean, again, it just like it was just like diminishing returns constantly. Like every minute of the movie, once the instability scene happened, just got worse and worse and worse until the end. I, I do want to do a minor spoiler discussion for this, if we if we could somehow. Is that possible? Or we already have the Bubba Duke? 
Well, um, spoiler discussion. Can we just do a, like one of these 30 second spoiler discussions right now? Yeah. Can we save it for the very end? And then um, what yes. I'll do is what I'll do for the listeners, just so they know in the next review, if you skip ahead or whatever, we'll, we'll save the spoilers. Like Josh is going to keep it short. He said, and then we'll, and then at the very end, when that's over, we'll play, just go right into the trailer of the next review. So that's what we'll do. But before you get to that, they tease, and I was really worried about a bait and switch in this movie. They tease about some alien talk in there. And I'm thankful that this is not an alien movie because, yes, some people think the pyramids were built by aliens, right? I mean, you've heard that theory before. No? Yeah. No. That would have been better than this, too. No. No. I'm glad they didn't do that. And, I, I mean, if I could, I really... I didn't, I didn't want an alien movie, but knowing what I did get... At least that would have had something, you know. Oh, come on. Now, Josh, so what about this, though? I, I, I do wish they they commented a lot on the smell inside of the pyramid. And they yeah, com- they, did. They, sure com- they sure spent, what do you think, 25 to, to 50% of the dialogue talking about the smell? No, no, no. They, they commented on that. They commented on, like, you know, the air quality and breathing. So it had all of that. But I really wish, this sounds like a weird nitpick, but I wish they would have commented on the temperature inside the pyramid. I wanted to know what the temperature was. That would have helped put me in there if there would have been at least one comment on that. I, I have a pretty good idea. I think it was lukewarm like the rest of the movie. Oh, that's that's hilarious. <laughs> so droll. <laughs> so how about... Here's the thing. They talk about the air quality. This is a major major danger of what they're doing is the air quality. We know that from the very beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. near the beginning of the movie. Then someone says it smells bad in here. And so the guy says, well, if you think it smells so bad, why don't you put your mask back on these masks that have basically been told, you know, you just keep these on to save your life. Suddenly everyone decides to take their masks off for the last 75% of the movie. And (laughs) And then they're commenting on how bad it smells the entire time, like the rest of the time, when apparently we found out they just put their mask on, we wouldn't even be able to smell that. I don't know. It's really annoying. Well, the, the, but the bad smell is not from the poisonous air. So. Yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with it. The guy says if you put your mask back on, you wouldn't be able to smell it. Plus, but yet they all keep their masks off, even though they know they're in great danger. Plus, you're a director. I mean, would you cast some good-looking actors and then have them wear masks the entire film? Come on. They did a throwaway line. What the, I mean, there was like kind of a throwaway reason for taking no. off the mask. No, there wasn't. It was flimsy. There was a great reason he gives way later on. And if they had just used that at that point, at, that they take them off, it would have worked for me. But it wasn't until 20 minutes after they all took their masks off. Oh, how the tables turn. Now, see, this is my same complaint with exists because you're like, it works out in the end of the movie. <laughs> but No, because it doesn't make, no, because that's different. <laughs> that doesn't make sense internally. You it said it was a great reason just now. Yeah, but none of the characters knew it was a good reason. They did it as morons. They did it taking their lives into their hands and they only find out 20 minutes later that they're not, they didn't commit suicide by doing that. How many horror movies have are filled with smart characters? We're not talking about all those movies. We're talking about this movie. I know it's a horror and movie. It's not a good one. So okay, what one other thing? I have to confess, I was a little infatuated with um. I know you were with Sunny Krista and Nicola. 
Like, which one was she, she's the documentary filmmaker that you thought overacted so much? Uh, she had her she had her plus moments, but she has had a lot of negative moments too. Well, I'm very fond of her as an actress, and I hope to see her in more films. <laughs> so she she was not talented as an actress, though. I I liked her. I liked her fine. I don't. I I didn't even know when she you started attacking her. I didn't know what you were complaining about because she didn't sell. Because you don't like her for her acting, Jason. Let's be honest here. <laughs> <laughs> what? She did not sell the documentary filmmaker moment. Like if you even compare the two leads and the other girl is not a good actress either. But if you compare their two scenes when they are doing their standups in front of the camera, it's so much, it's so obvious how much more the blonde understands the found footage or faux documentary genre than the other actress does. She's so arch. I did like the way that she instructed her subject, the doctor who was kind of a moron about it to include the question in his answer that that okay. felt pretty real that's writing number one not not acting I'm not, and, well and she delivered two, it and number two her delivery was ridiculous if you were trying to get someone <laughs> to co- cooperate with you as a documentary filmmaker you don't start out by insulting them and being like quippy and quirky they're just gonna be like you know what lady we're on the most important find of our entire lives maybe one of the biggest archaeological findings <laughs> in our lifetime. Why don't you take your little one-person documentary crew and go walk out into the desert? We don't need you to talk to us this way. We're professionals. <laughs> she, well, she would not. She would not be hired by a network to do what she's doing. Well, that that's why uh, the reason I thought that you would attack her most was because when things get intense, she gets very unprofessional. I would say, but that <laughs> felt that actually was one of the better things that felt realistic. So you would act that way if you were on a job. I'm not I would. I'm just saying you don't know until your life is in danger how you're going to react. And I like that she. I kind of like that she loses it. I mean, you know, I would have. I I could have. I would have also liked a character that stayed professional, but. Mm-hmm. Me too. Of everyone, she felt her reaction felt the most realistic to me. I mean, because you'd be getting like real deaths and stuff. I mean, that would be some crazy footage. But think about how every other person acted. I feel like hers is the most legitimate. Mm-hmm. See, I told you she's great, Krista Nicola. Everybody, <laughs> let's cast. Let's cast her in more films. Okay. So anyway, okay. Let's let's go into our ratings, and then we'll we'll give a spoiler warning, and you can say what you need to say about that. Does that sound good? Yeah, I just the one thing I want to say is instructive as a trope in the found. I, I'm wondering if it's a new trope that I've identified in the found footage genre. Oh, nice! I'm so excited. Okay, well, what's your rating for the pyramid? I wanted to like it. I love the premise. I love the setting. I didn't mind the characters. I liked um, the first 20 minutes of the movie a great deal, and I just you know my biggest problems with it were. The sense of space, it never, to me, escalated that kind of sense of danger, claustrophobia that you feel even in an Indiana Jones movie, but especially in something like As Above, So Below, or The Descent, which make you feel really uncomfortable physically. Um, I also thought the quote-unquote beastly freaks sucked, and mm-hmm. um, I thought they could have been a lot better, and I worry that this will turn off people to the idea of wanting to make another not-a-mummy movie in the near future. <laughs> um, so I give it a four. I think it's a, an avoid. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. Oh. I mean, I would say the, the redeeming elements are the things that it is instructive um, with regard to the found footage genre. I think you hurt my heart 
when you um, were attacking the the beastly freaks in this. I love the main monster. I I love that monster. I like the idea. I don't like the actualization. Oh man. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear the listeners weigh in on this one. Um, but no, my rating for this, the premise is great. Now, this is not a perfect film. You you heard me busting on it too. It's got a lot of flaws. But in terms of a horror movie, it's pretty fun. And thank heavens, it wasn't another dumb supernatural movie. Um, you know, we talked about the Babadook earlier, which is an awesome supernatural movie. It's not a supernatural movie. I don't. I, well, I mean, it's a, no. I mean, it's not like a ghost movie, right? It's not a possession movie. I think by definition, it is a supernatural movie. Mm, well. Yeah, it has it has some supernatural elements, but you know what I'm saying right now. Like you're saying because there's something physical in the room, it's not a supernatural movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we had what a th- about Slimer on Ghostbusters? Does he count as physical? <laughs> we had a throwaway line in in this movie, which I won't describe. But they they gave a throwaway line that was trying to explain away how the air became toxic. Okay, which suggests that with with that particular element or aspect of the beastly freaks that we're talking about a physical reality a physical world like actually oh, I don't creatures. have a problem with those beastly freaks because I don't think they are beastly freaks I think they're just regular beasts I don't <laughs> think there's anything freakish about them um kind of freaky the other beastly freak <laughs> I think is supernatural mm-hmm. yeah I mean I I think that but it's not like it's not a ghost. It doesn't walk through walls. It it is is it is within this this world, um, physically, which okay. which I appreciate, and I think that's a lot different than something like Oculus or Ouija, which we've made fun of constantly sure. on this episode, and and so I'm just happy for that. So I think this is a good time. I think this is one of those. You know how people casually dismiss summer blockbusters and call them a popcorn movie? Well, as we heard Josh say, this is kind of like a popcorn horror movie. Oh, brother. It's fun. I had a good time. I was uh, creeped out a little bit here and there, especially on the reveal of the main monster. And um, I kind of dig it. So, I mean, for me, this is a 6.5 out of 10. And I say see it in the theater while it's still there. Otherwise... Once it's out of theaters, I would call it a rental. This isn't something you'd want to buy because I can't see watching it like multiple times. Uh, I because prob- there's nothing actually scary about it. It only depends on jump scares. No, I probably will watch this maybe one other time down and cartoon, the line. Cartoon animation. This is these are not cartoons. I mean, it's it's definitely CGI, and you can tell. But it's like Roger Rabbit part two. No, the, the, you are <laughs> mis- that, that is a mischaracterization. That is not fair. Okay. Shame on you. You're I'm a filmmaker. Just I'm just joking. Let me think of something that is like, though, to give people. Yeah, give them an accurate picture. Oh, man. I wish I could. I wish I could think of something right now. See? I can't think of another beastly freak that looks this bad in a movie. That's that's the problem I'm having. Oh man, well you haven't seen very many beastly freak movies because there are some <laughs> bad ones out there. Not that are multi million dollar films put out by a studio on every screen in America. Well, I mean, this is just indicative of our heavy, heavy reliance on CGI, and that is regrettable. I will give you that. But I, you know, even though you can tell it's clearly CGI. 
I don't mind the creature design. I kind I kind of dig it. So yeah, six point five theater rental. And at this point, we're gonna go into a very brief spoiler alert. So if you don't want to be spoiled, which I hope you don't, because I hope you go see this, then um, you can fast forward until you hear the trailer for the next film we're gonna talk about. So uh, while I think something like the Lost Coast Tapes has the best kind of behind the scenes of what it's like to be a documentary filmmaker, I think this movie has some of the best kind of stand-up scenes where they're actually addressing the camera. I think that stuff is really good um, as a setup of the film. So I think that's something to look out for people who are interested in maybe making a found footage film. Obviously, again, that idea completely falls apart, and you should not look to the film as a good example of something um, for integrating traditional camera work and found footage camera work. But the thing that I think I may have discovered as a new trope, it's very obvious, but I think um, in a, if you find yourself as a protagonist in a found footage movie, you never want to hand off your camera to anyone else. I think the minute that he handed her the camera, I was like, well, he's screwed because that the reason, you know, cause we're <laughs> always looking, I'm always looking for how does the footage get out? Right. If this is a found footage movie, mm-hmm. as soon as he handed her the camera, it was like, well, he is done as a character. He's not coming back. And then at the very end, someone takes the camera from her and I thought, well, this is how they're going to end it the way, you know, as Jason would say, a horror movie should end. But yeah, but, anyway, uh, I think, but, but I that, think to the, me, that's a, that's a major key. But I think the other person who took the camera was also screwed probably too. Probably, well, we don't know what happens at the end of this ridiculous movie. Cause now there's a God, a God demigod wandering the earth, but, um, <laughs> coming to get you for being so disrespectful and, <laughs> and dismissive. <laughs> but I mean that is a, that's the thing. If if you're in a if, if you're in a found footage movie, you want to be the last person holding the camera possible. That's right. That's, that's the only way to survive. It's like not having sex in a slasher movie. You <laughs> want to be holding the camera in a found footage movie. That's very good advice. <laughs> At this point in horror movie podcast episode thirty six, we're gonna hear Wolfman Josh's feature review of Housebound. Your client has been through a number of these treatment programs in the past, and the results have been less than spectacular. Miss Bracknell is in need of stability. I'm therefore ordering an urgent report into the suitability of her mother's house for a sentence of eight months home detention. Gosh, that's high tech, isn't it? Aren't you lucky, Kylie, having all that fancy technology on your foot? Nice being back home. Some things have happened since I've been here. Things I can't explain. Okay, this is actually a really interesting film. It's um, also kind of from down under. It's a, it's a New Zealand film. Um, features some Australian and New Zealand actors. Um, <clears throat> it's a horror comedy. It's, um, it's, it's not a wacky comedy. There are just funny moments all the way through. Um, basically, you've got the story of this... 20 something woman who is leading a life of crime. And when she gets busted, she gets sent home to live with her parents on house arrest. And she has to wear the ankle bracelet kind of like uh, disturbia or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are a lot of disturbia like scenarios, you know, with her bracelet playing a role in, in the film. Um, but basically when she moves home, she finds out that the room that she grew up in, someone had been murdered in her bedroom um, before they moved into the house. And she never knew that. And she thought that her house had been a bed and breakfast. 
um, before her parents bought it. And it turned out it had been uh, like an insane asylum where someone had been murdered. And so it had been sold for really cheap. And that's how her parents were able to afford the house. And her mom believes that the house is haunted. And it's not even a question. She just has seen the ghost. And um, that's the basic premise of the film is this 20-something-year-old woman who is now a pretty tough, street-smart criminal dealing with the idea that her house, her childhood home is and has always been haunted. And um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say the cover art, the poster looks genuinely creepy to me. There's something about it that's unsettling <laughs> i mean yeah. i know what it is it's the uh figure standing there with the, <laughs> right. i know what's unsettling but i'm just saying uh, more than you would think it bothers me to look at it i'm like oh that kind of <laughs> makes me freak out but then when i saw that it was a comedy a horror comedy i was so bummed out so is this scary at all or not it's got some scares um it ends up not being the kind of movie you think it's going to be. It's kind of, it's a bit of a bait and switch, but it's, it's funny and has good scare. It's funny and super creepy all the way through. And then it has a few good scares along the way as well, but it's mostly just creepy and funny, but it's a very pleasant watch. I mean, I enjoyed myself quite a bit watching it. It's really good. It's just not as, um, not as intense as you would hope because the threat kind of shifts throughout the course of the film. Well, what are other films like as far as tone with with comedy and creepiness would you compare it to? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is Are there any good um, like comedy ghost movies you can think of? Because well, like I almost want to say Shaun of the Dead, but it's way less comedy than that and way creepier than that. Well, for example, how does it compare to something like House from 1986? That's a pretty good comparison, but that movie's a lot wackier than this is. Okay. Um, well, that's encouraging. It, it's almost like if you split the difference between Poltergeist and House, you'd kind of be in there somewhere. Oh, okay. Now see that paints a picture. All right. But um, but yeah, it's not. It's it's also like we talked about with the Babadook. It's a very small contained movie, largely because she's wearing this ankle bracelet. Um, but it's it's got some really fun moments. Um. And it seems really original. I mean, you know, there are definitely things that will be familiar to genre fans because, you know, it's a lot of familiar themes and and moments. But what it kind of creates out of all that feels like a really familiar film. Kind of reminds me of Frighteners a little bit. Um, but again, way less action and way less comedy okay. than the Frighteners. But kind of in that realm, maybe. How, all right. How does it compare... <laughs> This is going to sound so weird. Um, let's see. There's that Nicole Kidman film, The Others. How does it compare to that? It's way less scary than that. Okay. It's not meant to be that kind of a movie. Um, it has a few moments that feel like that, but it's mostly like there's this comedic character that kind of comes into the film that you don't anticipate. A lot of the characters are comedic. Like there's a lot of comedic relief in the movie. The mom is definitely a comedic relief character. There's a a security guard who works for the ankle bracelet company. And this is funny. Like he, you know, his job is to make sure she stays on the premises and respond anytime her ankle bracelet goes off. But it turns out like, you know, when she, when the mom says, you know, the house is haunted, 
Turns out he's like a big paranormal investigator and he knows everything about it. And so he kind of becomes involved in their lives in a really more intimate way than you would have anticipated when he's first introduced <laughs> as a character. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are just some funny things like that. It's, it's a very enjoyable film. I don't think you go to it for scares necessarily, but if you know, if you feel like watching a comedy and you're a horror fan, you're going to love it as a, as a comedy with some really fun mystery and scary elements. And it's, it is creepy throughout. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense then. I got you. I feel like I got a feel for it. I've been very tempted um, to watch this, but just the the main reason, just because it's a horror comedy. And but um, I don't know. You kind of sold me on it. I am curious about it. Like on um on IMDb, you know how we talk about movies and like the gradient of horror that it is or what genre it is. Oh yeah. On IMDb, it's categorized comedy slash horror slash thriller, and that really is kind of the order. It feels to me and kind of that's it kind of takes that journey during the movie too. Okay. Interesting. All right. So what do you rate housebound? I give it an eight and I would say it's a strong rental recommendation. And if you like kind of independent, smaller independent films, you know, this is another one that played festivals. It was at South by Southwest and won some international festivals. Um, it's t- definitely worth it. It's a fun movie. Like I feel like this is a movie I would watch on Halloween every year or something. Okay. It also feels like a movie you would share with people. I see. Is it is it fun along the lines of like Trick or Treat, Mike Doherty's Trick or Treat? Yeah, but it's not as much horror. That that's a little more straightforward horror than this is. Um, okay. It's almost like something like I would watch, like I would watch The Burbs or something. It's okay. not as it's not as family friendly as that, or kind of fun as that. Right. But it but it's it, it like you know we talk about Halloween movies like um, Return of the Living Dead or something like that. Like it feels like that kind of a movie to me. It feels like a fun, a little bit campy, a little bit goofy, but fun scares type of movie you'd watch with a big group of people and have a blast. Okay. Awesome. So, Wolfman Josh says, Housebound is an eight out of ten. He says a strong rental. All right, good. Thank you for covering that because I have genuinely been curious about it. Yeah, and I bought it and I was happy that I own it. So. <laughs> All right, and at this point, I'll move into a feature review of Found. My brother keeps a human head in his closet. At one point, it had thoughts and feelings, and it kissed somebody it loved. Now it's just a bloody head in a bowling ball bag. I hope I don't end up that way. Now, Wolfman Josh, I got one that I really want you to see. Now, okay. I'm I'm saying this for a couple of reasons. Now, it's kind of weird to recommend this to you because I know that you're a genuine horror fan and hardcore, but you don't you're not necessarily into some of the more hardcore stuff. I mean, that's not your cup of tea necessarily. Is that accurate? I don't like, um, I, I'm not in it for the grim movies typically. I, I like a serious film, you know, and I like the kind of independent, mm-hmm. serious stuff. But, I, you know, I, I don't like really oppressive torture, like things like that, like, bum me out. I, 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 you know, we talked about this with uh, Exists. That's a very energetic film that leaves you feeling energized. Right. Um, Right. That's the kind of horror I enjoy. I like a good monster movie. I like a good slasher movie. I like to have a good time when I'm watching a horror movie. <laughs> well, the the reason, and see, I know all that about you, but the reason I, I'm really anxious for people to check this out, and you included, is because this the best way to describe this film, if, if somebody approached me for a, a, 
a pull quote, which they wouldn't. But if they did, I, I would say, <laughs> I would say this movie sneaks up on you, and it really does oh. sneak up on you. And the other thing is, there's a mixture to it. It's a drama first, okay, and then horror second, and it's it's very strong in both of those things. Like it's a strong drama and a strong horror. And when I mean strong, I don't necessarily mean as in well done, but I mean like pushing that genre to its limits. I mean, it really does it. So, you know, in, it's like this little indie film that's actually really well done. The The biggest negative I have on it is like some of the, the actors, like the performances are weak in places and that really takes you out of the film because it tries to be set in reality, like in our world, which I really appreciate. But when you see these bad actors here and there, and it's more of the supporting roles, but when you see them, you're really kind of taken out of it. But this is, I will say, this is a grim film, drama, horror, and uh, it had its premiere in Indiana back in 2012. So if you look up Found on IMDb, the date is 2012. And it's played a few festivals over the last couple of years, but it finally got its limited theater release and its DVD release in 2014. So by my reckoning, I'm calling it a 2014 film. I don't care. Just so people know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it opens with, just to give you a flavor, it has this kid narrating. I think he's like 12 years old or something, and, and he's our main character. And he's narrating, and he says, my brother keeps a human head in his closet. And that's how it opens. <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome. And it's like, for those who are uh, Sopranos fans, you know, his brother keeps a head in his um bowling bag, his bowling ball bag, um, much like we see in The Sopranos. Um, and this has... You know, and so when when it opens, you're like, okay, this film looks kind of low budget, and um, these performers aren't tremendous. But then they get these animated opening credits, which are very artistic, and then they start doing things in these opening credits, which are really bloody. And that's <laughs> you're like, okay, well, this is kind of hardcore right here. So the premise is this boy he lives at home with his parents and his older brother. And if I were to do this in a one sentence question. I would say, I would do it like this, the premise. What if your older brother, who is fond of you, is actually a psycho serial killer? <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's kind of the premise. So this kid, our main character, his name in this film is Marty. So this Marty kid is a horror fan. So I guess we're supposed to relate to him not just because he's a protagonist, but because he's into horror. And for those horror fans out there, I will say this is clearly made by some genuine horror fan type of people. There are tons of um, movie posters. There's a video store scene where he goes into the, the VHS section. So I think this is set in the late 80s, early 90s, but it's not a strong period film. Like you can't tell that very well, except for like, you know, VCRs and VHS tapes and stuff. But it's really cool to see that. And so for people who didn't get to experience that, you watch this movie and he goes in all excited, just like we've talked about doing. And he looks at the horror section and you'll see titles that you recognize there. And that's kind of exciting, right? But that's just a little touch. So anyway, that's the premise. But the thing I want to tell you, it's more about the journey more than it is, you know, plot beats. And I'm not going to tell you what happens along the way in the story, but at one point, he um, 
he and his friend rent this horror movie called Headless. And by the way, there is an actual horror movie called Headless that I'm going to be checking out, but it's not the one depicted in the film. They actually made a couple of horror movies, you know, to show within this horror movie. And one of them's like, yeah, I love that. And one of them's like a schlocky, like monster flick that looks terrible. But this Headless movie is so good that I actually wish, as much as I like Found, I actually wish they would have just scrapped Found and made this Headless movie because it's about, it's a slasher flick. And man... (laughs) This thing is nuts. Like, Josh, you know how you talk about things being insane? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it'd be really hard for me, you know, since we have um, a non-explicit family-friendly show, it would be really hard for me to to describe the content. (laughs) I I mean, to, to merely describe it, but I mean obviously it's called headless so this slasher he likes to behead people and and then he does all kinds of crazy stuff but more than any other killer in any other film that i've seen in a horror film he's like into this and i mean you know doing little air quotes here he's really into it and it's it's insane so are you talking like the thanksgiving scene from grindhouse the Thanksgiving trailer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, kind of like that. But I mean, this guy is just like, you know, he he loves his work and he basks in it, and it's it's just absolutely nuts. So these kids, it's cool because these kids are watching this horror flick, and we're watching it too, and it's um, it's pretty freaky. I mean, there are a number of heads in this movie that you know they don't they don't have a huge budget, but for the budget on this film. Everything looks pretty good. I'll say that. And the way that they balance out the heads not looking real, because heads almost never look real, right? But the way they fix that is they show like bad horror movie heads, you know, so so that the the heads that are supposed (laughs) to be real life heads actually do look considerably better than the bad horror movie heads. So they do kind of look real in that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But um, anyway, um. And this has like if if you're a fan of the Black Christmas remake, I mean that that guy, that dude's into eyeballs pretty big, and you know this this <laughs> this slasher here's into eyeballs and stuff, and and that's just one small portion of the movie. So it's like drama, 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 and then they show this like hardcore like a horror movie in the middle of it, which is pretty awesome. But this ramps up, and later you know the the kid the older brother who's the serial killer he starts getting more intense and starts you know kind of following suit because he's inspired by this headless movie of course um creepy yeah so it's it is pretty freaky where this goes and it's kind of surprising i mean they they really go for the um they don't hold back they go for the shock factor and when and to times when they didn't feel like they could show something you know, well enough or disturbing enough, they don't show it, but you hear it and it's still pretty troubling, but they do some smart things, Josh. I mean, I really want to appreciate this film. Like for example, I told you there are horror movie posters everywhere. Well, there's, there's this point where the characters, one character makes a stand and and confronts other characters. It's like this big kind of showdown and in the background, there's a horror movie poster for The Stand. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> they they were really thinking when they made this. And um, I tell you, this this has stayed with me since I watched it. It's one of those films you don't forget about. It kind of haunts you. It's definitely worth checking out. It's pretty hardcore. And it is grim. But 
because of the drama elements in it and because it's set in our world, it's like, what if your life as a horror fan, and I'm talking to the listeners, what if your life happened to turn into a horror movie? Well, that's kind of the premise of this movie. So I give I give Found a 7.5 out of 10, and I say buy it. And the only thing that, man, if this had a, a little bit bigger budget and better actors, this probably would have been a 10. So hmm. tr- tremendous movie encourage you to check it out so did this you see had the same this had the same distribution company in the u.s as a uh, housebound ironically on um, this macabre film series by accelerator um it's the exact same um as housebound in fact if you look at the movie posters for the movies you can see on the top they have the same banner along the top yeah what did you think of the movie poster for found looks creepy <laughs> indeed I mean, it looks, honestly, I liked, I looked at some of the production stills um, while you were talking. I liked those production stills a lot better than the poster. The poster looks more like in that laid to rest kind of um, world. Mm-hmm. It's just the colors. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah. I really, the production stills looked really great. Cool. Well, it, this is adapted from a novel, I should mention, like, um, that Todd Rigney wrote the novel and he also helped with the screenplay on this. So I think he was a horror writer. And um, for people who love Midnight Movie, by the way, which is, this is very interesting. And I wonder if this was intentionally done. Probably so. The slasher character who appears in the Headless movie, which is within this film. Yeah. He looks absolutely, he looks so much like the slasher in Midnight Movie, which is a horror movie within oh. a horror movie. So I yeah. bet you that was intentional and that's pretty cool too. So there's a lot to appreciate here, especially if you're a horror fan. Okay. Uh, so I have a couple more movies I was just going to discuss briefly. I'm not going to go into too much detail on them. Um, I'll start with the, uh, the one I was going to do. It's a 1942 movie called Night Monster. Nice. Now, this caught my attention because it lists among the stars um, two people or, or two actors who uh, horror fans are going to be uh, – horror fans are, uh, familiar with classic movies are going to recognize immediately, Bela Lugosi and Lionel Atwell. Okay. <laughs> um, those guys have been in so many horror movies, both of them. Again, Lionel Atwell, of course, was in Son of Frankenstein. He was going all the way back to the 30s with Dr. X and Mystery of the Wax Museum. And Bela Lugosi, I think we've already discussed him before, so I don't think we have to go into that too deeply. But uh, the interesting thing about Night Monster is is that they are listed as one, two, uh, as far as the stars. And Bela Lugosi plays a butler who's mostly in the background in this movie. Hmm. He does not play a main character in this movie. Lionel Atwill plays a character that has maybe considered, I don't even know if I consider him more of, he's not the leading man. There are other people in this movie uh, who get a lot more screen time than both of these actors. So what drew me to the movie, uh, it's interesting, was was not uh, didn't ultimately pay off that that hey I wanted to see Bela Lugosi and Lionel Atwell. However, what I got was a very surpri- a surprisingly entertaining film that even though it is a universal horror film, you know Universal is renowned for the classic horror, it's still a hidden gem because it's not one that more mo- most people know about um so setting up the story what it is is uh there's there's um i'm just going to take it right from my my blog post on this a wealthy invalid named kurt ingston played by ralph morgan uh he was left uh, unable he couldn't use his legs uh, after this uh, med, you know 
something had happened to him, and they don't. There's not too specific about it, but something happened where medical science failed him, and it left him paralyzed as they were trying to treat him. Well, he invites the three doctors who performed his various surgeries, one of whom was Lionel Atwell, over to his mansion for the weekend because he wants to show them something that he says is is um, a breakthrough in medical science. Uh, and a lot of it, it, it extends from this, this Hindu yogi that he has with him. Uh, Agor Singe is the name of the character, plays by N- Nils Asher. Aster. Aster. I'm not kidding. A S T H E R is the actor's name. Uh, and he has put together something that he thinks is a treatment uh, that will revolutionize um, you know, paralysis. It, it, could, it could change the way that, that medical science treats it. Uh, along with these surgeons, there's a psychiatrist, a, a female psychiatrist who shows up, Dr. Lynn Harper, played by Irene Harvey. She was summoned there by Ingston's sister, Margaret, who lives in the mansion with him and is convinced she's losing her mind from some of the things that she's seen going on there. And she wants help. Um, but what happens is the servants, Lugosi being one of them, the butler, and especially the maid um, played by uh, – or the housekeeper, Doris Lloyd, do everything they can to keep um, Margaret away from the psychiatrist because they're really trying to protect the brother because there are things going on in this house that are much darker than anybody fully realizes. And these things sort of play out as um, – as the movie progresses, and I'll leave that there as far as a synopsis. It does, this movie has quite a bit going for it. Um, the cast is really good. Uh, there are some, there are some scenes that are surprisingly effective. You know, when you think of an, I shouldn't say surprisingly at this point, because Universal knew what they were doing by 1940, 42, when this movie came out, you look at, um, there's a scene where this maid, uh, early in the movie, there's a maid named Millie. Uh, played by Janet Shaw, who um, she quits. She's like, I can't take what's going on around here anymore, and I'm going to go down and tell the cops that they got to look into this place. Well, the butler sort of warns her against it. The housekeeper sort of warns her against it, but she goes ahead and, uh, goes ahead and does it. And um, she's seen by the chauffeur in town hanging around with the sheriff. Uh, um, the sheriff's like, well, there's not much I can do about it. You know, that, it's sort of hearsay. So she decides to go out and get her stuff later that evening, and this guy who she who picked her up along the road and brought her into town. Um, there's a scene with her and the chauffeur. I'm not going to get into that right now. But anyway, brought her into town. Um, is going to go out there with her at night to pick up her stuff and then bring her back, you know, because she just wants to pick up her belongings and, and be done with this mansion. Well, they drop, he drops her off. Uh, the, a call comes down, uh, supposedly from the butler to the front gate, telling the gatekeeper to tell the guy waiting for her to go home. Millie's decided to stay for the evening. Well, that's not true because then Millie leaves, her ride is gone, and she's forced to walk home. There's a scene where she's walking down the darkened road, and what happens is you hear the crickets, you hear like the, you know, the, all the sounds of evening, and all of a sudden there's dead silence. Uh-oh. And you see this door open up. <laughs> and from there, she starts to run, and what happened is down the road a bit, the psychiatrist, the female psychiatrist driving to the mansion, her car is broken down, you hear this shrill scream in the distance. So you know something very bad has just happened to poor Millie. But the way that they handle that scene with the silence, the way things just go silent and the character reacts to it. So it's not just a device that the filmmakers were used to clue the audience in that something's going to happen. The world went silent. Oh, man. And the character heard it as well. So that, that to me, that was handled well. And that happens a couple times throughout the movie. Um, everything just goes silent. 
Uh, and I thought that was a real interesting way to handle that, you know, and I think it does bring that sense of doom for the audience, uh, you know, for the characters and the audience as well. I thought it was an interesting way to handle that. Plus, this does give you a very intriguing mystery that gets more and more complex as the movie goes along and as the bodies start showing up. And there's a really cool sequence where the yogi actually conjures a skeleton out of midair. Um, that, that, and that is along the lines of what is going on. Um, you know, and that's not really even spilling anything because the skeleton is more just of a, of a show. Here's what I can do. Um, this, this movie, what really got me was I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. There are some of the movies, especially later in the universal canon where, they tend to get a little lazy about the horror, you know, let's just throw, okay, another spooky house movie out there and let's throw Lugosi and Karloff in it. Although all the Lugosi and Karloff, that's a bad example. Lugosi and Karloff movies <laughs> are all pretty solid, <laughs> but there have been examples like maybe with a Lionel Atwell when they'll say, okay, let's put this movie out there. Um, and, and, you know, I'm looking at some of the later films. Um, I'm trying to think of like specific examples. Like you look at something like, um, it, like maybe House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein. There's some humor in there, and you know, it, there there's parts of it that work and parts of it that don't work. This one was a surprising one. Is one that I've not even heard of before, and it is a universal horror movie. And this is maybe not along the lines of their classics, but it definitely deserves. It definitely uh, should be seen by anybody who appreciates the classic films. All right, nice. And if I were giving a rating, I would probably give this an eight out of 10. Um, it's only available that I know of in a set. Uh, some of the other movies in the set are interesting. I've not seen them all like, um, captive wild woman is on there. Um, and I think there's uh, horror Island, which is maybe one of the ones it's a little bit lazier, <laughs> you know, not one of the best <laughs> of the universal horror films. Cause it's not even as much of a horror film as it is a crime mystery. But, uh, and I, I'm not sure I have to, I can't say what set it is. I don't know that I'm going to say go out and buy this whole set, but keep an eye out for Night Monster. If you can see it in any other way, perhaps it's available on, uh, on YouTube or something. Not that I condone that, but it is worth seeking out, uh, if you're a fan of classic horror. So you tell them, tell them to buy it then if they can find it. If they can find it, yeah, buy it. I mean, maybe it's available on a single disc edition too that I'm not familiar with. I haven't seen that. I've only seen it in this set. Okay. But maybe it is available. It's Night Monster from 1942, directed by Ford uh, Beebe, I guess, B-E-E-B-E. And it has Lugosi, Atwell, um, and then Leif Erickson is the guy who plays the, the chauffeur, who actually is a fairly – actually has a bigger role than either Lugosi or Atwell. And it's funny. So he's the third build star. <laughs> okay. Nice. Okay. And that's called Night Monster from 1942. 1942. Okay. And then the other one I just wanted to talk uh, about briefly here um, – it's another one I'd seen during my 31 Days of Horror, and it just missed making the list. I think I might have even sort of alluded to it during the conversation. I can't remember, to be honest with you. I might not have. But it's a movie from 2006. It is a horror comedy called Severance. It's a British movie. Um, it stars Danny Dyer, Laura Harris, and uh, Tim McInerney. Tim McInerney, if anybody's a fan of the Blackadder series, the old Rowan Atkinson show from the 80s, uh, they're going to know who Tim McInerney is. Uh, he played Percy in the second Blackadder, uh, as well as the first, the first and second Blackadder. Um, and then by the fourth one, I think he was Captain Darling for the World War I era Blackadder. Very funny guy, actually. Um, 
he the, the, the setup for this one is there are several executives they work for um, the London division of a company called Palisades, which is one of the world's largest weapons manufacturers. So they're heading out to the wilderness of Eastern Europe for a team building weekend. Uh, and it's uh, sort of been uh, spearheaded by their boss, uh, who is uh, named Richard, and that's Tim McInerney's character. He brings this group out into the woods. Um, he's got his assistant with him, um, this yes man named Gordon, who actually has some pretty funny scenes. Uh, Harris, who's sort of the, the standoffish guy that, that all these offices, all these environments seem to have. You know, he's a, he's a bit of a jerk. Um, you have, um, you know, a pretty American girl uh, named Maggie. And then Steve, played by Danny Dyer. Now, Danny Dyer is an actor who I think is really a, a, an interesting guy. Um, he, aside from Severance, he was in another horror comedy that I really enjoyed called Doghouse, which is a oh, yeah. uh, zombie film. Uh, he played what it, I guess would essentially be the lead character in that movie as well, and I thought he did a great job. And he's just he's just a sort of a naturally funny guy, but he can do drama too. I, there's a movie called he did called The Football Factory that was more dramatic that I thought he did a really good job in that as well. But he's just a good actor, I think, you know, and I enjoy his his films. Um, anyway. This guy, his character, has just ingested this whole bag full of magic mushrooms. So what they do is they have to make this long trek to the lodge because the bus that drove him refused to, t- refused to take him the, the entire way. Heard bad stories about it, so he kind of drops them off, so they're dragging their luggage up the road. Once they get to this building, a few of them point out that it doesn't look anything like a luxury lodge. It looks more like an old mental facility that they knew was located nearby. Mm-hmm. That rumor has it used to treat ex-soldiers who just who enjoyed the killing a little too much and couldn't quite adapt to the way they should behave in the real world. And that seemed, that's a lot of people say, you sure this is the luxury lodge? Well, adding to the fact, adding to the, the sort of spookiness of it all is that something is lurking in the surrounding woods and is watching every move they make. This is an interesting film because there's always that fine line with horror and comedy, you know? Yes. There's there horror, a lot of horror a lot of horror comedies not all a lot of horror comedies get the comedy right and are a little weaker on the horror you know they're not going to give you a nightmare but they're going to make you laugh okay right Shaun of the Dead is one I think they got it right I think everybody can agree Shaun of the Dead got it right because there are there are creepy scenes in that movie and it's darn funny to boot uh, I would actually put Severance. If it's not as I wouldn't put it in the same league as Shaun of the Dead, but it definitely is one that gets both right. It it will make you laugh and it will scare you as well with several scenes that that it has and it does work as a horror film as well. I think um, and Tim McInerney and Danny Dyer are are funny in it and they and they get some laughs. You know, um, in one early scene. Um, where he's where Danny Dyer's character Steve is uh, suffering the after effects of the mushrooms. Um, you know, it's fun because what happens is he has to be led around on a leash by the by the American girl Maggie because he's been wandering off. So she's like holding a leash, dragging, you know, walking him up there. But he also says that you know, at one point he feels damp and ass. You know, have I just pissed my pants? Because he's not really sure. Okay. Um, but it, the way he delivers it, it it's, I'm not even give, doing it justice. It actually is a very funny scene. Uh, but all the characters have this give and take that, um, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's pretty funny. While they're driving uh, to there, the, there's a promotional video that um, Tim McInerney's character puts on for the company that he had something to do with. 
Um, and one of the characters, Jill, who's sort of the socially conscious character, notices that everyone in the commercial is white and blonde. And she says, oh, congratulations, you've made a recruitment video for the Hitler Youth. <laughs> uh, and as you're watching, you can kind of see that that's, that is what it looks like. But as, as funny as the movie is, it is even more effective when it's trying to scare you. And there are some scenes where it it manages to do both. Um, the Yes Man character, what did I say his, um, his name was here? Gordon, played by Andy Nyman. What happens is he comes across, he's looking around the facility and he comes across this pie. Uh, or what happens is he serves a pie to everybody. Everybody sits down at the table and he serves this sort of meat pie to them. And they're eating. And all of a sudden, uh, Danny Dyer's character um, bites into it and he finds a human tooth in there. Oh. So they start saying, what, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I don't know. I found it in the refrigerator. It looked okay. And they say, you just baked a pie and served it to us that you found sitting in the refrigerator? <laughs> <laughs> so, but it is creepy too because there's a human tooth in this thing. Okay, and then there's another scene um, where a character is doused in gasoline um, that uh, is is even more. And and another one that sort of straddles the line is, um, and I don't want to get too deep into this because I don't want to get into spoilers. Uh, but there's a scene with the severed head where it actually rolls down the hill and ends up looking back at its own body. And the last thing you see is it gives off a little sly, like, well, son of a bitch smile, <laughs> you know, wow. that, I, that actually makes you laugh at the same time, though, that it is uh, it does work as far as the horror goes. Um, uh, you know, it is it is also a horrifying scene. Yeah. Um, so this is a movie that I think gets gets both the comedy and the horror right. And that's why I think it's worth seeking out uh, again. It's from 2006 called Severance. And this one I would probably give uh, a seven point five. And say, uh, if you can pick it up, and I'd say it's a high priority rental. I'd put call it a high priority rental. Okay. And I think if once you see it, I think you would be interested possibly in picking it up as well. Okay, but they should definitely rent rent it first, high priority rental. But then if they like it, then buy. Oh, ab oh absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I think I think more people will will enjoy this. And this was another one that was I'd always heard about it and I've heard people praise it. Me too. I just never had gotten around to watching it. And uh, I did finally do so, and it was, um, you know, it, it was it was very well made, and it's it's very entertaining. Well, I like on the um, the cover art. There's a pool quote that's that describes it as the office meets the hills have eyes. <laughs> yes, is that and accurate? You know what? That ad is very accurate. That is a very accurate uh, description. Yes. Wow, I can't even imagine those two things being put together. <laughs> that's great. So. Doc says that Severance from 2006 is a 7.5 out of 10, and it's a high-priority rental. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to mention a couple of Blu-rays that I got recently um, from Scream Factory. They've got such nice releases, and I know everybody knows that, but um, in preparation for our Black Friday episode, I ordered the Night of the Comet Blu-ray, and then I also got the Battery Blu-ray uh, right when it came out. And these are both such beautiful discs, and I'm, I'm a huge fan, and... If people haven't seen The Battery, we've talked about it actually quite a bit on the show, um, but it's just a great movie, and the Blu-ray looks fantastic, and there's a great behind-the-scenes documentary on this film. This movie was made for $6,000 on a pho photography camera, on a DSLR camera, and uh, there's a 90-minute making of documentary that for low-budget indie filmmakers, it's one of the best instructive no budget document or no budget filmmaking docs I've ever seen. So, and, and again, you're talking about the battery, right? The battery, yeah. Okay, okay, just clarifying. And the other thing I love about Scream Factory is that they give you 
the great original artwork. I hate the battery DVD artwork. It's just like the most generic, ugly artwork ever. It just looks like any crappy zombie movie, but they have this awesome original poster on the inside that you can flip it over and have that nice original artwork. By contrast, the Night of the Comet artwork, the original kind of looks like a Spielberg movie or something. Um, but the new artwork they made for it is really cool. Um, so I don't know. These are just two great discs, and I just wanted to say how much I love Scream Factory's releases of late. And a lot of their original... I'm sorry, a lot of their original artwork is beautiful. I mean, what they did for like um, the Carpenter films, The Fog... Yes. And the Prince of Darkness. I mean, it's it's tremendous. Absolutely. You know, and they have such some really interesting like, you know, I mean, the, the movies they've been putting out in even in the last couple years, I mean, they did the original The Town that Dreaded Sundown. You know, they did um well, as I said, the the, the Fog and and the Prince of Darkness, uh mm-hmm. Sleepaway Camp. They they have a yes. really good version of that that they put out. Um, yeah, they've got they, they've got so many great releases. Um, there was another one that was rumored. Oh, it was um, they're supposed to be doing the Dog Soldiers disc, and it kind of disappeared. Yes. So I want to get I, a hold of that one. I'll tell you what I heard on a podcast. Um, uh, Sean Pertwee, who was in Dog Soldiers, tweeted that he had just recorded an interview. For the upcoming Dog Soldiers Blu-ray. Yes, finally. Okay. Yeah, so it is something that's in the works. Wow. Very well, I, cool. I want to back the Wolfman on the battery. I actually love that movie, and I love it more over time. I mean, I gave it a 6.5, called it a rental, which is still really good, really strong for me. Um, Josh gave it 8.5, said buy it. So uh, definitely check out the battery. That's a cool movie. Okay. I and I wanted to I did want to um I didn't pick that one up yet but I do plan to pick that one up. Um but anytime, you know, there's there are certain companies that I, that I sort of uh key in on. Uh Criterion is one. Uh although a lot of their Blu-ray releases recently have just been mirrors of, you know, they're finally putting out on Blu-ray a lot of the what they've already put on DVD. Yeah. which I already own, but I I, I key in on Criterion um blue underground is one that's really interesting and now though yes. the arrow is coming to america mm. you know they've just had a, 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 a i think it was a kickstarter campaign they wanted to raise a hundred thousand dollars to kick off their campaign in america and one of them was a 65 dollar donation you get the first three releases on blu-ray oh, so basically cool. you're pre-buying them i put in for that one well, by the time I did it, they still had maybe three weeks to go, and I put it up to about 108000 So they blew it out of the water wow. when they were trying Holy to do. Yeah, so they're coming to the U.S., and they're very big over, and they have a lot of genre. Uh, and I think you know what they're coming out with is a spaghetti western, one called Mark of Sa- The Mark of Satan, which is a very uh, controversial British horror film. Yeah, um, that's one of the first three that that they're releasing, and I got the sixty-five dollar one, so I'll be getting those first three releases. And I saw that they just got the Takashi um, uh, Miike film, um, "The Happiness of the Katakuris." Yes, that's a funny yeah, they movie. Just, they just got that one as well. So, um, but th- these type of companies, and then Shout Factory, Scream Factory. They're right at the top. They, they're probably the top of the list right now, as far as whenever they put something out. Even if I've never heard of it, I'm I'm damn tempted to put a pre-order in for it. 
I would I would just add to that list, and these aren't all horror, but the IFC Midnight um, yes. is, is yes. a great one. And then these two aren't necessarily always horror, but Alamo Draft House, they have a great oh. s- series of films that they're releasing. They now. haven't put much out. Oh god, the Wake and Fright. That's tremendous that they were able to put that one out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They everything they put out is high quality. And then the other one is Oscilloscope, which used to be owned by uh, one of the Beastie Boys, the guy who who died most recently. Oh, cool. uh, but um, he it was previously owned by him prior to his death, and it's a great label. It's almost like record labels were back in the day. These are these are companies that when they release a film, you know it's going to be high quality. Exactly. Yeah. That's um, and if you are a if you're a genre fan, but even like a horror fan or just a genre fan, definitely check out all of those companies with their releases. But 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 Screen Factory, like I said, definitely. Uh, at the top there with 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 what they've been putting out and they have new year's Definitely. evil coming out in january mm-hmm. oh oh, oh and and the oh is it, it not lance henriksen is it the lance henriksen version of um phantom of the opera mm-hmm. uh coming out oh i don't know it's an 80s version of phantom of the opera and i i can't uh, i gotta yeah, I know what you're my, talking about. My, my internet is acting up here, and it's not letting me Robert England. go out and check it. Robert, Maybe it was Robert England, yeah, but it's – it's. see, they put out Phantom of the Paradise, which I thought was interesting. They had a Blu-ray that they just put out of Phantom of the Paradise, um, but even more – like the one that's the, the actual Phantom of the Opera. Give me one second here. I'm actually going to try and jump on. I'm on my son's laptop again. That's fine. While uh-huh. you're doing that, I just want to talk really quickly about one other really weird, interesting thing that's out. Um, I just donated to a Kickstarter campaign recently. It was called Nosferatu Remixed, and I found it actually when I was doing my research on The Visitant and The Babadook because uh, I ran across another Kickstarter campaign that Doug Jones, you know, the actor who plays the creature, was involved in, and he's actually playing um, you know, the Nosferatu character. And oh, what they, wow. What they, yeah, and what they do with these remixes is they take the original films and then they break them apart and digitally create um, new scenes where they're using the same backgrounds, some of the same actors, but they're sticking their own actors into it. And they did that with Dr. Caligari um, first as kind of a test um, in short film form. And now they're doing a feature version of Nosferatu with Doug Jones playing the vampire. Um, it could be really cool. So I'll, I'll get links to that in the, um, and there's show notes, but, um, the, the Kickstarter campaign is now closed. They met their goal. So people cannot donate to it, but you should definitely keep an eye out for it. Cause it looks incredible. <laughs> Interesting. I want to check that out too, you know, cause uh, Nosferatu is tremendous. Now you, with you said that, that he's going to play Nosferatu, that's almost like perfect casting. Yeah, no, and then it, again, it, it, mixed into the original footage of the original film. So it's going to be, it's a really weird, you know, new technique, but they're calling them these remixes. Okay. Uh, by the you are absolutely right. It's the Robert England Phantom of the Opera. Okay. It looks like Scream Factory has that coming out in February. Interesting. Which is, oddly enough, I assume New Year's Evil was in January, and it looks like that's also a February release. Yeah, that that Phantom of the Opera there from 1989 with Robert England. My understanding was that that was kind of hard to track down for a while, at least. But that's good they're doing this release. And, and you look be... at the you look at the cover art. You know what they were promoting because he's taking off the Phantom's mask, and behind it is Freddy Krueger in the artwork, and it says Robert England was Freddy. Now he's the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> right. 
So there was a listener email um, that I received the other day, and um, actually two emails in a row that <laughs> are pretty lengthy um, from one of our listeners who was a little bit upset about um, some spoilers that were given on the show. And I thought it was interesting because we really are actually pretty careful with spoilers. And in fact, I think we actually get crap for being too careful about spoilers. <laughs> yeah, we try to be at least. So Yeah, but I mean, people really come after us sometimes about saying, no, you guys worry too much about spoilers, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, we get that a lot, actually. I hear that more than more than, than the, the other, yes. I've never heard any, this, this is the first I've heard about spoiling, but okay. <laughs> no, it's funny, and I think, I mean, for me, I usually do like to be somewhat careful about it, even if it's an old movie, because I think even especially an old movie, some of our younger listeners, or if it's a more obscure movie, people maybe haven't seen those movies as much as, they, as they've seen a new release. So right. it is something I like to be uh, conscious of, but I was surprised to hear this because I didn't remember it at all. So uh, <clears throat> the email begins, and I do apologize, it's pretty long, but I, th I think it's worth reading. Okay. So I'm listening to the Haunted Houses episode of Horror Movie Podcast and enjoying the repartee. Suddenly, the conversation turns to most scary theater experiences. Dr. Shock takes his turn and starts talking about the ring. And then without so much as a spoiler alert, completely spills the beans on one of the best cinematic scares of all time. I could not believe it. Stunned, shocked, speechless. I almost fell out of my running shoes. Jason, <laughs> the ultimate spoiler Nazi said not a word. <laughs> or maybe he said something weak like, <laughs> I don't. I think everyone knows about that movie by now. <laughs> Such a blatant and egregious dereliction of duty, guys. <laughs> this one was close to the bone for me. You cut me deep, Shrek. I get the whole statute of limitations thing on spoilers, but this was just so completely out of character, especially for Jay of the Dead. I saw the movie many years ago, so the good doctor didn't ruin anything for me, especially with retrospectives, however, don't you kind of have to assume that your likeliest, best audience is people who maybe haven't seen what you're talking about? I'm faking most of my outrage, but it was still a stunner. <laughs> the Ring is one of my all-time favorite horror faves, and the first time I saw it, I had no idea where it was going. I've rarely, if ever, been more impressed by a prolonged and carefully crafted buildup to the ultimate reveal of something spooky. I'm sorry, I'm reading this terribly. It's... Very long and, and condensed uh, words here. Such great pains taken to gradually turn up the tension and keep viewers off balance and ill at ease. Such a long and cool series of revelations and discoveries. All of it paid off by one of the greatest holy crap moments ever pulled off. Now, I'm going to say at this point, spoiler alert for the ring <laughs> as I continue reading this email. Yes. For the next minute or two. All of it paid off by one of the greatest holy crap moments ever pulled off. Seeing the girl come out of the well is creepy enough. Seeing her pop through the television and stalk across the room is breathtaking. It's a cherished movie moment. Horror movies are often dependent on surprises, twists, etc. It's like Ursula said in The Little Mermaid, My dear sweet child, that's what I do. It's what I live for. To scare the pants off of unsuspecting viewers like ourselves, like yourself. Poor unfortunate souls. Because so many good horror movies are twist-dependent, I feel like the genre as a whole is particularly vulnerable to spoilers. All of which is to say, I suppose, 
won't somebody think of the children? Or in this case, the people who've never seen the movie. At any rate, apologies for the extended rant. And uh, he goes on to say a few more things. And then I responded to him. I said, I was actually quite surprised because not, not only did I not remember spoiling you know, the movie or you know, and I know how careful we are about spoilers, but um, I, I think for me it's just been so long since I've seen The Ring. It didn't even occur to me that that was a spoiler moment. I didn't even remember that that was a twist. So he gets back to me and says, with, with more specifics. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> Dave starts talking about it at 48 minutes and 25 seconds on the episode. He doesn't actually end up saying the words. And then the mom's boyfriend watches the tape and sees the dead girl climb up out of the well and crawl out of his television. So in fairness to Dave, it's not as bad as it could have been. But it does give away that they find the little girl's body in a well, and crucially, that making that discovery doesn't tie up all of the spooky business. And then he blows that Naomi Watts tries to go home and reassure her son, only to have the son say, you weren't supposed to do that. And then he's very guarded about the actual reveal of what's on the tape. He doesn't really give that away at all, except to mention that it involves something crawling towards somebody. It's a huge spoiler, however, to A, give away that there's a body, and B, tell, that it, tell where it's found. The mystery of the ring is the mouth of the well as seen by someone trapped at the bottom of it is a huge element of the film. And C, casually announced that finding the body is not the end of the movie. Oh, and D, reveal the essence of the conversation with the son. I know it's perfectly suited to the point he wanted to illustrate, but I think you just have to talk around that. For anyone listening to the podcast who hadn't seen The Ring, the ending would be far less scary and startling because they'd be watching for it. This is essentially the reason, in a nutshell, that we have a word for spoiler. By revealing so many of the details of the film's ending, Dave is preventing people who've never seen it from enjoying the ending the way that he did. <laughs> we film nerds tend to see a ton of films and read about the ones we don't see. But the average person who likes movies isn't nearly so immersed in them. Plenty of people have never seen The Ring, and for the vast majority of films released in a given year, the farther you get from the original release, the less likely it is, and this is kind of what I was saying, the less likely it is that people will even have heard the title before, much less seen the movie. He goes on to share some personal, more personal experiences with spoilers. And then mentions that he likes the podcast a lot at the bottom. <laughs> so this is, uh, this is from a, a, a listener of ours and someone that Jason knows pretty well um, at this point, Cody Clark. So I thought it would be fun to bring this up and discuss spoilers. Now, you know, it, I, I don't, you know, personally, it's not, it's, I, I don't think this is an attack on, on Doc as much as it is just a discussion of, of spoilers in general. So I, I thought maybe we could each discuss a little bit about our feelings on the topic. Okay. Well, and, and you know what? And I, I don't have really a, a defense of it. He has a point. Uh, we weren't discussing the ring, which is why probably why I had done that. But uh, yeah, it was a little, it was careless to bring up some of those details that I did to just throw those out there. And, uh, you know, we, it was it was more for I was keying in more on what we were saying about the experience in the theater. I'm assuming now yes. I don't actually fully remember the conversation. Um, I, I'm sure I did. Obviously, I did exactly what he's what he's saying I did. And I, I don't question that for a minute. Uh, but I was keying in more on that. And as a result, yeah, I probably did say a little more than I should have said 
about that movie, especially when he's right. That does rely on a lot of those twists. Um, and I will just have, you know what? I, and I, uh, I do apologize for that. It's not something I like to do. I'm usually very careful about spoilers. Um, as Josh is, as we're about to discuss and I try to, to avoid them, but Hey, I, I gotta say, yeah, I absolutely did do that. And I, I'm not even going to go into statue of limitations cause I don't care. I like, I, I don't even like to spoil Dr. Caligari <laughs> right. you know, because it doesn't make any difference because there are people out there who have not seen the movie. So, um, you, it's, you said Cody. Yes. So Cody, you know, I do, uh, and I'm glad I didn't spoil it for you personally. And I will. Be mindful of that as I'm talking in the future. There are times when you feel like, like you're saying, that where you're doing too much for spoilers, where you're being too obscure with, with things. Like, like I could have said, there's a scene in the ring towards the end. I could have put it like that, and and that probably yeah. would have sufficed to the story I was telling. I went into too much detail. I could have said there's a scene towards the end of the ring. Those who've seen the movie will know what I'm talking about, where something happens uh, involving. I could have even involving, you know, a, a, a final reveal, anything. And I probably would have gotten my point across. I went into a little bit too much detail there. Uh, and I will be mindful of that in the future. And I do um, think detail's fun for the audience who have seen the film. Um, and so I'm not opposed to it. I just think maybe we should have, maybe I should have thought a little more clearly and said, I'm going to, this will be a spoiler warning. Yeah. And you I'm not, that, I'm actually yeah. not even wanting to discuss that in terms of you. Cause I think that's, you know, no, 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 too but much. that's this, this, I'm thinking this specific instance, you know, I'm yeah. just addressing this specifically because yeah, yeah. I got to sit up and, and uh, take the blame on this one because that's true. <laughs> and I, I would hate to think I spoiled that movie for anyone. Cause it is a, a, a tremendous movie. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, Jason. I like the idea of just giving a brief spoiler alert like we did just now and then talking about some of the details, because I think, um, you know, those can be interesting, you know, interesting to take the discussion, you know, a little bit deeper or a little bit further sometimes. Well, I like what we did in this episode and I hope the listeners have liked it too, because at this point they have heard the review for the Babadook, but our spoiler section is at the very end of this show, which they'll get to and I, right. I like doing it that way because I think it's very cumbersome for a listener to a podcast to have to say, oh, okay, I don't want to hear this part. So I got to like fast forward, what, a minute, two minutes. like, and, and, and that's really hard to do and lose your place and everything. So I just, right. you know, if we are going to go into spoilers, which I, I like to try to avoid altogether usually, but if we are going to go into them, I like doing it like we did the Babadook. I'm just saying if it's like a, it's a, if it's like a one or two line spoiler Oh yeah, I, I, it happens to me all the time when I'm listening to podcasts. I just take my earbuds out for a minute mm-hmm. and then put them back in. Yeah, that's yeah, I true. hear it all the time too. People will say, and they will say, you know, spoiler warning coming up, forward ahead the next couple minutes. Or, or uh, usually, even if you it. if you haven't seen a movie and you know you're interested in seeing it, you're kind of already on edge for that moment, right? You're kind of already yes. listening for. Okay, I, I want to make sure I don't get spoiled on this. Right. So I think the listeners are a little more um, cautious about it if it's a discussion about a movie they haven't seen and want to see. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like Jason, I know when I did that documentary podcast, you said you told me there were several times you didn't even listen to the review portions because you hadn't seen the movies yet and you wanted to see them. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know people who believe that trailers, just trailers in general, period, 
are just spoiler material like anything other than the title to some people i mean that's how some that's how sensitive some people are and that's why it's tricky film criticism is very tricky because there is a balance between discussing elements of the film to illustrate points and to give people a sense of what the film is like versus um you know being careful about spoilers and sure no i mean i typically actually don't watch trailers and for me it's um it's just a matter of trusting the source. So if people know they can trust us, you know, to handle things a certain way, then, then it's like a safe discussion for me with the trailers. Like I don't trust trailers because I don't know who's, who has produced them. And oftentimes right. they do give away the last, like things from the third act of the film and th- stuff like that, or yes. that comedy, all the best jokes they put in the trailer. So I, that's why I avoid mm-hmm. and trailers. If you think of the for me like a, what was a really good trailer was like what they did for Cloverfield, because a it, it started it, it bu- you know a, a buzz of what is this thing it didn't do anything but give the date of when it was going to be released but everything that they showed in the trailer was what occurred like in the first ten to fifteen minutes of the movie, and then they didn't take it any further than that you know like everything you saw up to well I'm not going to go into it now but everything you saw in that trailer <laughs> happened happened in what would be the first act, you know, and, and it didn't take it any further than that. And I thought that that was a really smart way to do it. But most, most, most places don't care. Like, uh, let's be honest, the people putting together trailers are trying to sell you the movie. They want to put the best moments in there for them. It's advertising, you know, and, and they're not thinking of film fans. They're thinking of, you know, dollars at the box office mm-hmm. when they put those trailers together. Right. And, and that's what they're geared for. They are commercials for the movies. Uh, and I agree. Some of them, you watch some of them. You, you, what's the point of watching the movie? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I want to thank Cody for his um, feedback on that. And, and just Cody is a friend of mine, actually. And he's a legit film critic. He wrote for uh, a newspaper here in Utah for a number of years. And so, um, you know, I know that that's something that he is very cognizant of as well as a film critic himself. So, no, we appreciate the feedback. That's great. And uh, yeah. we'll try to be even even more careful and somehow walk that line, the balance between discussing a film and not spoiling a film. Yeah, but don't. But you better back off a of doc, Cody, because... We got we we got Dave's back over here. That's right, and I know I know where you live, Cody. I'll come to your house. <laughs> no, and I I appreciate I appreciate that. But as I was listening to the to to his his email, I'm like, you know what? I I I, I vaguely remember the discussion, um, and I'm I think it was in the context of of frightening theater experiences. So I let my my own. I let my judgment down for a little bit and I just went into it and I probably should have, I should have been a little more, uh, obscure, uh, especially with, with like, like you said, with that movie. Yes. It's okay. Yeah. Most people have probably seen it, but that's not a defense because it, there are people who have not. So, uh, and who will listen to the show and have not seen it. And he's right now they'll be waiting for something. Even if I don't give specifics, they'll be waiting for something, uh, towards the end. Dr. Shock is a gentleman and a scholar. As we can hear here. So, um, okay, now put me in the hot seat. It's my turn. We had another complaint toward Jay of the Dead. So, uh, Doc, do you want to do you want to read that? And we yeah, can give me it. a minute. To, give me a minute to come up here. And it's not, I don't th- I, I don't look at either of these as as uh, <laughs> as attacking because it was right. from David and Juan, 
whom we love. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, we love Um, him. And it was funny because both Josh and I did respond favorably to his comments. (laughs) That's really why I wanted to address them with you. I know, I know. Um, That's good. I'm glad. And this is from from David, and this is on our uh, most recent episode, the Black Friday of Consumer you know, the, the um, horrors of consumerism, mm-hmm. uh, episode 35. Okay. Okay. David said about halfway down, he put, um, he, he said also, um, well, he following up from a previous comment. Also, I have no problem at all with you guys not being able to cover American Psycho and Videodrome due to time constraints and the sheer volume of content you've been putting out recently, which is greatly appreciated. But Jay, I'm going to have to be honest here and say that it bothers me a little when you suggest that those two movies might not be worthy of coverage on the podcast for the sake of maintaining genre purity. I've gone over my approach to this attitude fairly exhaustively in the comments of Movie Podcast Weekly before, mainly in conversation with Josh. Uh, So I'll try not to repeat myself too much, but I just think that if we're discounting movies like Videodrome and American Psycho, we should be asking questions like where do we draw the line and how subjective is the definition of the genre? So those movies might might not be 100% pure horror, but what movie is? Show me a horror film that doesn't incorporate a percentage of conventions from other genres, be they comedic elements, thriller elements, mystery elements, etc. Is there such a thing? I mean, I could turn around and say that a movie like The Sixth Sense, considered by a lot of folks to be a thriller, is more true to the horror tradition than something like Friday the 13th. Horror cinema is directly rooted in horror literature. Just look at the source material for most of the earliest films in the genre. And the majority of early horror literature deals with the supernatural. So is that much of a, of a stretch to suggest that The Sixth Sense is way more of a pure horror film than Friday the 13th, which has its roots more in the mystery and crime genres? I don't actually know because genres evolve and mutate and absorb elements in, in their periphery. But that doesn't mean I can't make the argument and should that discount Friday the 13th from being covered on a horror podcast. If we want to be dogmatic about the purity of the genre, then maybe it it should. But I don't think any of us truly want that. So make a plea for less exclusivity. Well, Josh made me me laugh. He puts right below, drops mic, crowd erupts in applause. I thought that was pretty (laughs) (laughs) good. But Juan did follow it up. He said, this is true. Every time you, Jay, and parentheses are worried about including a non-horror film in the podcast you make it sound like us horror fans are only looking for blood and cheap jump scares (laughs) it really bugs me that you think that of us the horror community shouldn't be confined to a few broad generalizations just because that's the abstracted perception that people have of us and you as a member of said community should know that by now horror is so much more than bodies getting chopped up now he did add at the bottom that sounded a lot angrier than i attended sorry jay i'm not angry but don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> wow. Well said. Those are great comments from both David and Juan and Josh. That was hilarious. Yeah. So no, that's, that's true. They have, they have a point and, uh, boy, I, w- I was trying to think of how to answer this. Cause it's a great, it is a great little quandary. Cause the line, the genre lines used to be so much more crisp and clear. It was mm-hmm. like, it was, either this side of the line or that side of the line, you could tell, you could distinguish horror from Westerns, from musicals and genres really um, just specific. And now that line has become a spectrum and it's so blended with other genres that it's like a mile wide. And it is, it is very difficult to try to pinpoint a film into one genre. I think that's more rare than ever to see one particular film assigned to one genre because there are so many elements that, you know, are 
across genre. So yeah. mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And for me, as as a horror fan and a member of the horror community, the reason I struggle or wrestle, because you guys have really picked up on this very well. Our listeners are astute for sure. Um, I do wrestle with this and I struggle a lot because, um, and the biggest reason for me is probably because of our sister podcast, Movie Podcast Weekly, because that show is supposed to cover just all genres, all things movies, whereas this one is supposed to be more specialized for horror. I mean, it's called Horror Movie Podcast. And so Mm -hmm. I really struggle within myself because I know we have a lot of crossover listeners and we appreciate them. And and I, I try so hard to keep it separate, but it's like nearly impossible. So I just like to open it up to Doc and Josh and ask you, how can we how can we really celebrate horror while also um, trying to keep the two podcasts separate and interesting comments on both shows? Well, I'll tell you what, Jay, this is going to lead into a second comment that I have that we have uh, been discussing recently because on Movie Podcast Weekly, you cover new releases. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you're talking about here generally is new releases, the ones that are horror or thriller covered on Movie Podcast Weekly, which ones would also fit over on the Horror Movie Podcast, okay? Mm-hmm. And we've had this discussion of your assertion that we need to be covering mostly newer releases on Horror Movie Podcast. This specific comment talks about older movies. Mm-hmm. Videodrome and American Psycho are from a while ago. When you're dealing with newer releases, I can definitely understand where you're coming from. But with something like Videodrome and American Psycho, to extend that over to older movies as well might be a little silly at this point. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I personally don't think our, our listeners, and maybe this is something we can hear in the comments because I could be completely wrong, want to hear us solely talk about the newer releases. I think that it's important that we cover all aspects of the horror genre. I'm talking from the days of the silence all the way up to now. Okay, for those of you who are not into silent cinema, I'm not saying we concentrate on it too heavily. I'm <laughs> saying that we should be, uh, we should have the the freedom and the range to do so over the course of the podcast. That totally we should not agree. be, we should not be worried about reviewing films that are newer and concentrating on those because. I happen to think that the, the, the ones where we go back and we look at horrors, the history of horror, like we did with Halloween, mm-hmm. when we did those Halloween shows, I think they have more of a, of a, of a, of a, of a lasting appeal mm-hmm. to fans. And I use the example, and we had this email exchange, uh, you and I, Jay, and I know Josh, you were part of it too, going back and forth, where I use the example that a year and a half from now, I think somebody would be more prone looking over our past episodes to download the Halloween series than to download a, a show that says, here we talk about the newest horror release, um, you know, uh, As Above, So Below. <laughs> I don't think that a year and a half from now, people are going to care about As Above, So Below. People are still going to care about Halloween. I liked it better in our email exchange when you were picking on Ouija, because I liked <laughs> yeah, As well, Above, I, So Below. I, I, did, I, wanted to, I wanted to, yeah, that's what I was doing, because I know nobody would want to hear about Ouija. But, <laughs> but I know, but we didn't even cover that on this podcast, so it, it doesn't even fit. Right. And the example I used in the email was the Friday the 13th episodes, which is something that's coming down the road. We haven't even yes. done those yet. So. Yes. But I think that those, those when we go back to the older days of horror, and I'm not talking 
really old days. I'm talking, we can, you know, the nineties, the two thousands, the mid two thousands, the mm-hmm. later two thousands looking at that. I think we absolutely have to keep an eye on the newer movies coming out, but I don't know that we can, it's almost as if that is steering things. Well, and let's, maybe I'm wrong in that perception that, that that is what's steering the show and everything else is just sort of caught in its wake as it's going along. Well, let's, I, let's be fair. Jason, can I pile on a little bit and then you can respond to everything? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I got to try to keep track. But yes, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, I, I kind of agree with what Dave is saying. For the most part, I would just add, um, you know, for me, we've all had experiences on other horror podcasts where we're, we've primarily dealt with a certain type of horror fan. Um, and those shows were more geared toward a certain type of horror fan. But we all yeah. kind of agreed when we started this show, we were trying to do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've attracted an audience for the most part. I'm sure they're just general horror fans that find the podcast because of the name. But I do feel like we've attracted an audience that are kind of like-minded um, with us. And so I feel Absolutely. like I feel like we are all legitimate horror fans but all three of us are also cinephiles. We are interested in movies in general. And so I think it's okay that we're bringing that kind of breadth of our knowledge. I mean, I think it's – hopefully it's adds a lot to the show that we're bringing the breadth of our passion and, and interest um, to this horror discussion. And, and then also we're creating shows, I think, when we're doing like our themed episodes that I think hopefully have an appeal to people who are, you know, this kind of – quote unquote horror fan that we all imagine that's this kind of imagined thing. And also the our true fans of the show that we know about that we can actually count and and that respond to us, you know, in our comments. And I know for instance we do a show like um the Proto Slasher episode, those people are saying this is one of the best horror podcasts I've ever heard. And that's such an out of the box episode for a horror right. podcast. Or for instance, even just most recently with um with the Black Friday episode, like a lot of that show is just talking about like the psychology of of <laughs> of the human like spending mm-hmm. condition and economics right. and stuff. And people went crazy for that episode. People are saying this is your best episode ever. And and uh, let's be honest, Doctor Walking Dead had a big is a big reason yes. why right. with that one. <laughs> right. Yes, I mean, and yes, and, Do- and, and Kyle is a very smart guy, and I think we're yes. all reasonably we're not the rest of us aren't dumb. So I think no, no, but yeah, being yeah. who we are and being that we're all legitimate horror fans, I feel like you know I feel like anything that we think is worth talking about on the horror show is probably going to appeal to our audience. That's all I would say. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. yeah, I like what you said. I agree with that, and I do want to. I would like to emphasize, and the listeners won't know this because you know they're not privy to our email exchanges. But since the beginning of this show, this this is really the only. Um, like defensive thing I'll say. I really feel like I've been, um, uh, what's the word? Profuse maybe about, <laughs> about how I want this to be a freedom environment, like where we're totally free to cover anything we want because I, I you know, newer releases is kind of my personal mission, which I, I really try to cover. But I mean, I love that Doc covers classics, and I've never said, you know, don't cover classics. And I, to be fair, no, you haven't. You've never told me don't do something. If I recommended something, you said go for it. So I, I, there's never been a time when you've told me, no, I don't think that'll that'll fit here yeah, that so, I can remember. Yeah, so I'm, I honestly, I don't 
I don't solely want to cover just new releases. Like I love covering everything from the beginning, you know, to present. So, and I, I love covering the old stuff, sixties, seventies, you know, whatever period. I mean, I'm happy to cover it. Um, my own personal sensibilities, a lot of the way that these podcasts are structured just come from my, what I like as a listener of podcasts. And, um, I, as a listener of other horror podcasts over the past several years, I would get, personally, I would get a little bit um, tired of hearing the the same conversations about the same movies over and over, which was tr- why I was trying to, like, inject a lot of newer stuff into this uh-huh. show, personally. But, it, but, you know, if we do it right, quote-unquote right, like we're doing with... Um, when we cover the Halloween franchise in depth, get them all out of the way, cover them all in one, you know, one whole series. Same thing with Friday the Thirteenth coming up. I feel good about that, but I, you know, I wouldn't want to. Um, I guess like, okay, Christmas time is coming up, and last year we covered the Black Christmas, nineteen seventy four, the original Black Christmas. So, and we're not planning to do this, but I'm just saying I would never want to just talk about Black Christmas again and the first Silent Night, Deadly Night again, you know, just because it's Christmas time right. or review Halloween 1978 every single Halloween, you know. So um, that's kind of where I come from on, on in that respect. I, 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 sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead, Josh. I, no, I appreciate everything you just said, Jason. I just think sometimes, because um, I agree with everything you just said, especially about like, reviewing the same movies over and over again. But we, you know, we actually had a a protector against that when we first started the podcast with this idea of the haunted hall of fame that, you know, once we feature review a movie once or twice, we're going to retire it and never talk about it again, except in passing. Um, And so like for me, you know, but I do sense sometimes you're like, like I'm working on putting together a themed episode of um, art house vampire movies. I'm sure everyone's really thrilled about, but it will be good. <laughs> it will. Um, and, and one of the movies I considered, you know, listing in there was let the right one in. And I know you weren't super thrilled about the inclusion of that movie because everybody's talked about that movie. Right. But it's like, my opinion on that is, well, I feel like us as a unit, the three of us and, and Kyle, whenever he's available on this podcast, we should talk about every horror movie at least once, mm-hmm. you know, sure. all the great ones at least once. And so, yep. Yeah, I mean, that movie is maybe not as original as some of the other picks on my list, but I wanted to, you know, I think it's an important movie that we have, that we discuss. I agree. And and I love that film. And it is an art house vampires film for sure. And I, I think the reason I was weird about it at first, because um, I, I love how everybody's here in our little, like, <laughs> psychi- there's so many psychiatry <laughs> sessions in this episode. But the reason I was like that is because, and I realize they are separate shows, but like um, this is kind of like the third inception of this of this show. I mean, the weekly horror movie podcast was its own thing, and then Horror Metropolis was a little bit different but similar. And then Horror Movie Podcast is kind of you know the third inception, and we we have covered Let the Right One In before on those, and that's why I was weird about it. But then I'm like, okay, but this is a new show, and you're exactly right. So you're right yeah. about that. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I this is the this recent round with Halloween was the second time we covered the whole series, and that since I've been podcasting, this is the time I've covered 
not we, I've covered the whole series. And like the third or fourth time we've discussed specific movies. I've just, I've discussed something again. I've discussed specific movies in that franchise. Um, so it was for me, a lot of it was just, I've done this before, but I hadn't, we hadn't done it with the three of us in this forum. So I think that was, I thought I agreed with you that it was important to do that. Even if I had done it before, it still needed to be, it still needed to be out there. I mean, when, especially when you're talking about something as iconic as Halloween, mm-hmm. you know, I, it would have been very strange for us not to have addressed it at some point. Sure. For me, you know, I like I, just building our archive, like Jason said, you know, you know, we don't have to discuss Black Christmas every year right. because now that episode exists and we can refer people back to that episode and, you know, I want to right. cover it everything. Yeah, agree. Exactly. And I, and I think what you're saying, Josh, is, is uh, absolutely the way I feel as well, that, that let's, let's try and go out and cover these things at least once. Yes, a lot of people have talked about them ad nauseum. They've been covered on every podcast, every podcast that has horror in the title. Uh, from from the start of horror <laughs> podcasting, but right. they haven't been discussed by the three of us in our form. Yeah, and I think it's important that that we do that. And as long as Jay, as long as Jay, as long as, and I understand about you know with the newer releases, and I I don't disagree with what you're saying, and I I don't I don't think you're wrong for saying that. As long as you don't feel it's an obligation to cover a horror movie, even if you know it's going to be crap just because it's new. And I think you showed that with Ouija. I mean, we didn't cover. We yeah. on the show, and I think it was that everybody sort of looked at that and said, "Oh boy, this is going to be bad." I mean, I'll, so as long as you I'll don't feel it, obligated, but... as long as you don't feel obligated, oh, there's a new horror movie coming out now. My movie podcast weekly is different because you discuss new releases, so there there may be a sort of obligation to bring to co- to discuss something if it's if it's brand new. Mm-hmm. But over here, something like, oh well, we just a horror movie, we better discuss it. I don't know if that's the case on on this type of show. Yeah, well, it's it's just. Genuinely, it's my it's my desire to cover the new stuff, and and I will get to Ouija eventually, but through Redbox. I wasn't going to see. Let me that know. Thing. Let me know what episode that'll be on because I think I'm busy. <laughs> okay, time. well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I didn't want to see that thing in the theater, but you know, we could be wrong. I mean, we're we're to, that's to a total film critic faux pas to decide on a and movie. I'm, and I'm joking too. It. I could. I'm joking too. Who knows? I could like Ouija. I mean, I, I might I might watch it and find it. I might I might enjoy it. I'm not hopeful i'm not holding out hope but who knows you know and I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm sort of beating up on that movie maybe maybe uh unfairly but um i'm just using it more as an example you know so uh, uh who knows i may cover it down the line with you and i may be i may come in highest on it so i love how that's our whipping boy during this episode but um <laughs> so just a couple real quick things then i think we're all on the same page with the um the widespread coverage of horror from any decade. I think we all want to do that. And we're all on the same page with wanting to cover um, all horror movies at least once on this show because it is its own show. And yeah, it'll be it'll be our personal conversation and our take on that film. So that's good about that. And um, I also wanted to say, like, for example, on this upcoming episode of Movie Podcast Weekly, we will also be talking about the Pyramid and the Babadook. But when I, I don't know about Josh personally, but when I cover the films between the two podcasts, I really try to go more in depth on the horror stuff on this show. And I try to uh, point out things that might be, I guess, significant to horror fans. Whereas on the other show, 
my reviews are usually a little bit shorter and, and more tailored for a general audience. So I, I guess there is no way really to avoid some crossover and just know that I feel terrible about it. And we really try not to just give you rerun stuff on both podcasts. Right, Josh? Well, I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't try as hard because I, I think we, you know, we, as much as we do have crossover listeners, I think there are also a lot of non crossover listeners. And I think for people on um, either podcast, you know, they deserve a fair shake of the movie. Like I, I, I know um, myself, you know, again, I'm a horror fan, but before I started horror podcasting, I actually didn't listen to horror specific podcasts. I listened to a lot of movie podcasts, like probably a hundred movie podcasts. And I relied on, you know, their horror movie coverage to get my horror movie coverage. I wasn't seeking out horror specific podcasts. So um, I think there are probably more casual horror fans out there who, you know, the, Movie Podcast Weekly is their only movie podcast they listen to. And so mm-hmm. I, I like to give them a, a horror review now and again as well. Right, right. Okay, well, that that works. That works very well. And then just to finally wrap up by answering the the genre coverage and the, the lines, the blurry lines of the genre on this show, um, you guys have some good points. And David and Juan also have some good points. But uh, I, I guess what I want to say, I think... The best way in this climate, like the cinematic um, landscape as it is now, I think the best way to determine a, a film's relevance to a horror movie podcast is the film's tone. Because there is a tone to, to films that really gives you an indication, I think. It's the best measuring stick for me personally of what genre you know, it, it probably most closely relates to. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Like, um, like in the I, the Babadook, for example, there's there's not a lot of um, you know, there's not gore and blood and guts and all that stuff, but the tone of that is, you know, straight up horror. But then, you would you then discount covering things along the lines of Shaun of the Dead, which is not straight up horror has elements of horror. It's a zombie film, Mm. but obviously is lighter in tone because it also is a, is a comedy that makes people laugh. Yeah. But Um, it's, it's a clear cut horror comedy though, which yes, it is. It's a clear cut horror comedy, but tonally it is slightly different. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. so if you look at it strictly like from, from the time, besides if you look at it tonally, I would say silence of the lambs would definitely fit in with what we would discuss here. I mean, Jason, when you you really kind of captured my imagination on uh, back in Horror Metropolis with one of your reviews with Kyle Bishop. When you, for the first time, I heard you kind of break down a movie um, by subgenre and say, "This is first a thriller, it's second a horror movie, and third a drama," and that really appealed to me as a as a way of breaking down a movie and i've tried to do that ever since i heard you do that um, because it it gives people a sense of how you know all the elements that are in there and then the kind of the ranking of those elements so if there's someone who if i if i'm rating gremlins and i say you know it's first a comedy whatever second uh like a, <laughs> i don't know or what do you, why don't you break it down actually why don't you break all it down? gremlins Cause I, okay. yeah because i know you're monster you, like well, so for Gremlins, okay, so just for background for the listeners, Jason isn't a fan of covering 
the Gremlins movies because he doesn't count, he doesn't count them as horror movies, and I disagree. But, well, so let's, let's hear you break them down. They would be they. I mean, they're in that is in the same vein as like the Monster Squad. It's like it's like uh, junior horror movies, like horror movies for kids. It's like oh, horror movie primer. I, you know I would what say I mean? It's the same as as Shaun of the Dead almost as well though. And and it's interesting that you say it's horror movie for kids Gremlins because Gremlins is one of the movies that changed the <laughs> ratings from PG to PG-13. It's also uh, a movie that I went to I begged my family to take me to as a kid. Not to actually I'm going to talk about this on the our Christmas episode, but I left the theater in tears um, <laughs> on my first viewing of Gremlins as a child. So uh, I know. Well, we, maybe we should have had Gremlins there on our poll for the scariest movies ever. Then I, I, no. <laughs> my, my point is okay. So yeah, maybe first it's a monster movie. Second, it's a comedy. Third, it's a family movie. Fourth, it's a horror movie. I feel like that that kind of gives the listener a way to rate it in their own mind. And then they might say, well, I'm not interested in something that has sure. horror as the fifth element, but there are other people who are going to say, well, that sounds perfect. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. And I love to do that. As you know, the whole, you know, clarification, it's this first, this second, this third. Yeah. I mean, I like doing that. And, and you guys are right. I should, I should probably lighten up about um American psycho, for example. But I mean, for me, like, tonally you know it's like oh that that one is a wrestle but and the reason Juan said something so interesting he said something to the effect I'm sorry I'm paraphrasing but you know you're you're thinking that we horror fans are just all about blood and guts and stuff and we're our tastes are more sophisticated than that well I as a horror fan I mean one of my favorite subgenres of horror is the slasher film which is basically just blood and guts i do like that i look for that like the beastly freaks i do look for that and that's what i personally want and so when you have um something like the silence of the lambs it's like that's a tremendous film it even won best picture if i'm not mistaken but it's it's like for me i would personally want to push that over into the thriller crime genre even though there are some horrifying things in that movie so i, I see it's also way scarier than most thrillers like it's yeah that's it's true. Scar- super scary yes and i've also made the i've also made the comment i think you know hannibal lecter and then i've also said um kathy bates character from misery i think are some of the scariest movie monsters we've ever had right so yeah. i think i true. think um I don't know. I like keeping an open mind, I guess. Yeah, and and I honestly feel that way too. And I love the cinema, as you guys know. I'm a cinephile like you guys. I and mean, that could be a themed episode right there. Something along the lines of oh, nice. of those type of serial killer thrillers. You know, the ones that that, that sort of <laughs> straddle the line. We could do a Silence of the Lambs, uh, Misery. I love it. Um, I'm sure there's a couple others we could yeah, put in there. They're not slashers, but they're still like kind of based in a right. I love that. Seven. 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 Seven would fit. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Seven would be a perfect third one to throw in with that. Yeah, I love Maybe that. Maybe Zodiac. Maybe we could throw, throw Zodiac as a fourth. Like, I personally don't see a huge difference between Seven and Saw. And I, and I, and I mean, I know that True. Saw is considered a straight up horror movie and seven's uh-huh. usually not considered a horror movie. Yeah. And that kind of annoys me because I feel like they're very similar movies. Yeah. yeah. The first, yeah. They the really first are. saw. Absolutely. You're yeah. right. 
They well, really are. So that would there you go. Those would be the four the four we could put in there because I'd love to talk about Zodiac too. We could do Zodiac Seven, Misery, and Silence of the Lambs. That could be a themed episode. Okay, guys, how about this for a solution? I'd like to make two pledges. Tell me if you think this is reasonable. Okay, and and they will sound contradictory, but they're not. Um, on one side <laughs> of the pledge, you know, we pledge to keep this horror movie podcast, right? We're not going to cover the next um, Star Wars film on this show, mm-hmm. for example, right? So, I mean, this is a horror movie podcast, period, damn it. But on the other hand, the other side of the pledge is, you know, when it comes to things like American Psycho, Videodrome, Seven, these borderline, the things that are in the fringes, because we're always, that's always going to be a subjective sticking point, depending on the person that you ask, whether it's the critic or the audience member, you're going to have somebody who's like, oh, that's really not enough horror for me, or that's too much this, this is too much sci-fi, blah, blah, blah. There are always going to be those fringes that are gray areas. So I think as long as we pledge to uh, make sure we communicate to the listeners exactly where they would fall, maybe by doing that classification, it's sci-fi first, horror second, drama third, then maybe we can make sure we're just painting a clear picture of what the film is so the listener will know whether they want to see it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you guys and David and Juan. This is an awesome discussion and I hope people weren't bored. This is really fascinating to me. And I, I think this is just in, it's the signs of the times. It's the way the cinema has changed and is ever changing. And I think it's really cool to try to navigate these waters and figure out how we're going to, um, I guess, uh, respond to these films yep yep <laughs> and in the in the segment i have coming up i'm going to be discussing two movies that i think are going to test you jay because one's from the 1940s and the other's a horror comedy okay awesome that, that's that's <laughs> um, gonna push you to the test right out of the box that sounds great <laughs> I, I love this well, okay really really quick before we do that i just wanted to let our listeners know i'm gonna give the book contest that we brought up in um the Black Friday episode one more week. So we won't be announcing a winner on this episode, but we will be announcing a winner on the next episode. And thank you everyone for your entries. Um, we've had some really good uh, choices that didn't even cross my mind as we prepared for that episode. So thank you all for your great um, responses and we'll go over some of them in a little more detail. Uh, and who was the one who brought up um, a hostel? Who is it who brought that one up? Because I, I that and 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 an excellent point with that one because I would have Brilliant. never, I would have never considered that, totally. you know. And and it really is, it really does uh, address that. Yeah, I don't have all the names in front of me, but I will have them in front of me. Uh, okay. When we, when we pull out well, the, the reason I the reason I said that I wasn't challenging you, Josh. I have it up in front of me, and I oh. can't find it. So <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to get you to answer that one. I was oh, sort, no. of, no sort of uh, seeing if I could figure it out myself here. And you know what? It's, it's, the comment strings are always so long. At, it's, it's, yeah. It probably take me out to read them from start to finish to find them. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but yeah, we did get some awesome responses from a lot of people. So thank you guys all. And I will, I'm going to randomly select a winner. So I'm, unfortunately I'm not picking my favorite answer, but, um, but we're just going to pull it out of a hat and, and give it to somebody. But we've had some great answers and we'll discuss those a little bit on the next episode so that um, we can yeah have that discussion. But all right. Well, thank one you. One more, one more week to get your uh, picks in. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, Go back and give it a listen. I know it's kind of funny because 
you know, this podcast released every other week. And then in this very short period of time, we released a bunch of episodes. And they're not short episodes either. Yeah. And it's almost (laughs) like people just uh, weren't ready for that. Like we got less listeners to the, we got less listeners the week. We released three episodes than we usually do when we release them every other week. Well, it was six hours of content within a week. (laughs) they'll be catching up on that one and then you're going to have another one go out and that's just on this podcast we also you know have other we both all have other podcasts as well yeah (laughs) real quick i did just want to throw this out there uh i know i brought it up at the end of the previous episode and maybe there were some people who haven't gotten to that episode yet which is which they might even be getting this one later uh, just like as Josh was saying, we put out so much, so much content. But I do have a few ebooks that I'll be releasing. Uh, I'm planning to release uh, based on some of the reviews I've done for the blog already. Uh, maybe some bonus content as well. I have two of them that I'm planning to come out with in January. One of them is going to be um, independent horror movies. It's not going to be a best of, you know, and they will be mostly newer ones. Uh, like uh, independent horror for released after the year 2000, almost like what I did with, with my um, October releases. It's going to be about 50, 50 to 60 movies that I'll be covering in that one. Um, just ones that I think are worth checking out because, you know, there are so many horror movies out there and a lot of them are, well, you know, a lot of them are not good. Uh, but there are some of them out there that I think are hidden gems and I think are worth checking out. So that's going to be one of them. And what I'd like to do uh, once I get this thing assembled is uh, offer um, free review copies to some of the listeners in exchange for an honest review on on Amazon. I'm not looking for praise. I'm not saying, hey, I gave it to you for free, so you better – that's not the way I'm looking at it. I want honest <laughs> reviews for these things, okay? Yeah. Um, and that's – that's you know, it's, it's, it's important. I'm not looking at – I mean, by the same token, I hope you like it. But if you don't, I you know express that. Um, and I would offer free copies to some of the listeners. Jay, you'd mentioned if they want to send an email. We did get one from Levi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did see a comment from David also on, on the blog. David, I'm looking into that if there are other ways. He doesn't have a Kindle. He's looking to see if there are other ways. I believe you, there are, you can read them straight on, on your, your, PC, your PC as well. He talks about being somewhat, um, I guess, technology challenged. Well, guess what? I am sort of too. So <laughs> I got to look into that before I can fully answer you. But I'm pretty sure that you can read them directly on your laptop as well. I don't know what program that would be. Um, but I appreciate you also uh, throwing your hat into the ring there. Also, something I'd like to throw out to our listeners, because I'm sure there are some artists out there. I have a cover already uh, submitted to me and I've, uh, that I'm using for the, uh, the other book that I'm uh, going to be releasing, which is uh, 51 Cinematic Oddities, which are basically the strangest movies I've, been, uh, I've watched since I started my uh, challenge over on DVD Infatuation, which, by the way, it's – it's it's not the 51 strangest of all time, just like the horror movie is not the 60 best independent horror movies. These just happen to be the ones I covered and I think are worth mentioning. So it's not going to be like a list format or anything like that. But I have a cover for the 51 cinematic oddities. I do not have a cover yet for the horror films, the independent horror films um, book that I plan to put out. So I wanted to maybe open it up to the listeners. If any of you are out there are artists, I'm not looking for a freebie here. I will certainly be willing to you know, negotiate price with anybody uh, willing to put something together, um, you know, uh, because I did pay for the other one. 
Uh, that's just part of what you you have to do, and and I, I you know I know what these things normally go for. So if anybody out there is willing to um, or interested uh, to possibly help me put together a cover for the horror book, uh, I would be appreciative. And again, I guess Jay, what's the email? They could just send it straight to mm-hmm. horror movie podcast at gmail dot com. Okay, all one word, no dashes or anything like that just horror movie podcast at gmail.com send that along if you're interested possibly in, in putting together a cover for this because uh, i would be i would like to talk to you and, and discuss that with you and um um maybe put something together and like i said it, it's i i am perfectly i understand i'm not looking for somebody to do this for free i am perfectly willing to you know to pay for this and be happy to do so um, if somebody would uh, would like to take that on, I'm also interested to be honest with you. And this is getting to be too much here, so I, don't, I wasn't going to bring this up. But you know what? I don't have a Facebook page for mm-hmm. my uh, for my blog because I know very little about Facebook. I have a personal account that I go on to maybe twice a week uh, and look around for about five minutes before getting off. If there's anybody who is familiar with Facebook and would possibly be willing to help me get a page for the blog up and going i would greatly appreciate it i'm not looking for anyone to put in a large amount of their time most people don't have the time to put into it i have a big presence on twitter but i have basically ignored facebook and i i i I feel somewhat silly for having done so because i think facebook is just as big if not a bigger avenue at times in certain respects um and i would be willing i i'd would also like to hear if anybody might be willing to help me put together whether it be a fan page or a page associated with the blog that I could put out each day that a new movie posts. I could have a post on Facebook as well and and try to attract likes or fans or friends or whatever the case may be. (laughs) I would appreciate I'd appreciate that too because I'm not I'm just not as up on Facebook, I tried it before, and it was it was a dismal failure because I had no idea what I was doing. Right. <laughs> so right. anyway, those things aside, they got the, that business out of the way. Well, that sounds good. Thank you. So yeah, de- make sure you email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail and I'll get it straight over to Doc. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. So before I close out the show here, make sure you stick around until after all of this end credits stuff. If you've seen the Babadook. Okay, well that just about wraps up episode 36 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. We love your comments, so get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community and just leave us a message. Tell us what you think. You can leave a comment in the show notes or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You could also call and leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all our episodes, including the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis, at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to take the time to give a special thanks and shout out to Eric from Long Island for his promo he did at the beginning of this show. We love it. If you want to call in and say this is so-and-so from whatever city, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies, we would love that. And I'll put it on the beginning of the episodes. I also want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. 
I'll have it linked in the show notes for episode 36 here. And if you want to follow Wolfman Josh on Twitter, check him out at Icarus Arts. Also, make sure you check out Dr. Shock's amazing blog at dvdinfatuation.com. And if you email us here at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com, you can get one of his free ebooks of his movie reviews in exchange for leaving him an honest review on Amazon. Also, I had the opportunity recently to appear as a guest on the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast hosted by Ron Martin and Little Miss Horror Nerd. We did an in-depth review of Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out from 1989. And I chose to review that film with them of that franchise because it may technically be the very last 80s slasher film released in the 1980s. It was direct-to-video in um, November of 1989. So if you know one that actually came out later, like in December, let me know. Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 also made number 9 in the top 10 snob-approved sequels list in the Film Snobs Dictionary. So anyway, check that out. Check out our review at zombie7.com. Also, you can hear Wolfman Josh and I on our weekly movie podcast where we cover just all genres that are new in theaters. It's at moviepodcastweekly.com. We're really proud of that show, and we hope that you'll check it out. And again, all this stuff will be linked in our show notes for episode 36. And if you want to help Horror Movie Podcast, the best way to do that is to leave us a review in iTunes and just spread the word. If you know anybody who likes horror movies, try to get them to listen to this show. We would appreciate it. And I think that's it for episode 36. So we thank you for listening. And you can join us again in two weeks for our Christmas episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. All right, as promised, much earlier in the show, (laughs) we have a uh, spoiler section here for The Babadook. And trust us, as Wolfman Josh said earlier, if you have not seen this film yet, do not listen to this until you've seen the film, please. We don't want you to be spoiled. We are going to go into major plot spoilers and discuss the ending. I can sum up all my spoilers in two succinct sentences, basically. Okay, your, do it. Your, your opening summary of the film was, what if your, what was it? Say it one more time. What if your child's okay. nighttime? I w- okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying, what if your child's bedtime monster were actually real? And my change to that sentence would be, what if your child's bedtime monster were actually you. <laughs> yeah. To me, that's that's yes. that's that's the spoiler that I, <laughs> is all I really need to describe the film. The only other thing I would say it's it's a it's a female shining. Yeah. And I think that I think using that key to kind of unlock the movie makes a little less mysterious. Uh-huh. But that's basically what the movie is to me. It's a shining with a female lead. And it's it's interesting because I was look like I said I started to look at it as an actual supernatural event. Um, I think one of the things that I like keyed in on that was, um, again, obviously we're in spoilers here. So the, the scene towards the end where she's challenging the Babadook, she's yelling at it saying, mm-hmm. you're not wanted here. Get out of my house. You're trespassing. Yeah. Um, we actually get a first person perspective from the Babadook fleeing down into the basement. Yes. You know, and that was where I started. That was probably the moment where I said, hey, maybe this is real. 
I'm thinking this is probably real. Nice. But then, you know, the final scene where she's, where she feeds it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. She comes up and he's like, how was it today, mom? And she's like, oh, not too noisy. He's like, oh, it's getting better. Like, it felt like a very, your mom's working see, through her psychosis. I see right. what you're saying. Right. Yeah. And I can, I can definitely see, I can definitely see, um, I see where you're coming from. And, and that is, you know, I, that, that's definitely an, 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 uh, one interpretation of it. And, and I don't even know that mine is right. Uh, and I'm, you know, but that's just how I had taken it from that point. But yeah, I see yeah. what you're saying. I mean, this could be all just, just her finally dealing with all the, the junk she's had, she's been locking away for seven years. Either way, she's stuck with it, um, right? right? The little boy says, yeah. you can't get rid of it. So right. she's going to be haunted with this forever, whether it's in her mind or it's an actual monster. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, it's stuck with her. It's stuck on her. It's kind of like Peter Pan's shadow, like when he was trying to get it to stick. It, this is like it, right. finally, it finally got sewn on, and mm-hmm. now it's not going anywhere. Right. Yeah. Um, and so this is, you know, she's, and he says to her mom, when am I going to get to see it? And she's like, when you're older, mm-hmm. you know, like that, it's like, I can't, she's like, I realized I can't show you this part of myself until I'm not going to put you in harm. It's way anymore. Wow. Wow. Man, it makes perfect sense. And I, I think that reading is probably to me, at least, I think that's what it was it meant pro- to be. Very well could be. Yeah. It very well could be. Josh, you're but impressive. It, it, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, but again, it doesn't matter either way, and it, it's just as yeah, just as, and just she's as just as, as stuck with it either way too, right? That's right, and she's not going to get rid of it either way. Let me just be honest here. This is confession time on horror movie podcast. I put together about eighty five percent of what you just said, but the things that you guys were just talking about really solidify it and locked it in my head. Now I'm having all kinds of chills, and it's even oh. scarier to me because. <laughs> because um i mean i was thinking that but i i honestly for whatever reason and i i'll admit it you know maybe i'm not the brightest guy but like i, I wasn't locking it all into place like you guys just did and i i really think that's a, a great take on it and because a couple reasons number one i think one of the reasons this, the shining is so scary is because as we've talked about before, the person who is supposed to protect you, your number one advocate and the person who loves you most is the most dangerous person to you. That's horrifying. Yeah. I mean, a mother, <laughs> because, you know, there is, it shows the sequence where um, she's looking at the book and it shows her like, there are suggestions that she's going to like take out her child. And yes. man, that's scary. And she ends up taking out the dog just as is depicted in the book. Right. Exactly. And and the reason that gave me chills, I'll just, how about, how about I share part of some personal story here? <laughs> do, you, okay. do you guys think it's going to be weird? Are people going to think I'm a big nut job? No. no okay. I think you've, but you've already been, yeah, I think it's something that, that you probably have to do at this point. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me let me just share part here. And um, this is not 100% of what I was going to tell, but I, I, I feel okay with telling this part. When I was 12 years old, my family was on vacation at the ocean, and my dad drowned in the ocean in front of us. Oh, and, gosh. And, um, wow. Yeah, and so I was 12. And my mother... She never did quite recover from that. I mean, it kind of destroyed her. I mean, she's she's okay today, but and, and she and I are very close. But, you know, immediately after that happened, I mean, she resorted to alcohol and 
struggle with alcoholism and so forth. And, you know, it's interesting because she told me when I was a little bit older that she was in such a dark and scary place, like this woman in the film who was a widow, that um, she was losing weight to the point that her doctor said if she didn't stop losing weight, that she was going to die. And she was in such an unhappy and miserable place that she told me that she had considered many times taking me out of the world and then taking herself out to escape it. And so um, that's why this film was so freaky to me. And what else is really interesting and why I got so many chills, Josh, when you were giving your take on it is just like when she said to the kid, you know, you can see it when you're older. You know, as I got older, my mom explained this stuff to me and I started to understand her grieving process and how it totally was consuming her life and destroying her. And um, the reason that the kid, I guess, ended up associating a monster or was inspired to conjure this monster in his mind due to his mom and her behavior, I think that's really interesting because I actually, at that time in my life, my mom was so dark and stuff. I had the scariest nightmare of my life. And in that nightmare, my mom was the monster. And what's really freaky about that is her name was this weird, odd name, kind of like the Babadook, but it was the Uppicus. So, like, her name was the Uppicus in that dream. So, man, there is so many parallels to this. So after hearing your read and locking that into place for me, I think this is a freaking scary movie. Maybe William Friedkin was right. I'm going to have to amend my rating and give it a 10. I'm saying this is a 10. <laughs> Buy it. <laughs> wow. 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 That's, yeah, that's that's something else. I'm, now I'm not sure if it's stole from Josh's friend or your life. <laughs> yes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I should probably say my Necromomicon, as I refer to her in previous episodes on this, my mom's an awesome, sweet lady and she has recovered well. And so we're somewhat normal now, but not totally. Wow. <laughs> There's also one thing I wanted to show you from one of Nick Peterson's other short films that seems to be related to this movie, which is another weird coincidence. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll do that after the show. All right. That sounds good. Any, anything else on the spoilers for the Babadook? I mean, I, I think, I think it's interesting either way. I, you know, I, and I don't know, I, 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 you know, I don't know if I missed it, but you guys said that you get to see the Babadook several times. I never really, Remember getting a good shot of it at any point. There was there was one where it descended onto like when she's looking up at it from the bed, you saw it sort of come down. Now that yeah. was where you got the impression it first went into her, like almost right, like right. Jay was saying a possession. Yes, there, there was that. That was really probably the only time you really clearly saw it. Uh, and then in the background, when she was looking through the window into the neighbor's house, although at that point it didn't really look like the Babadook to me. Yeah. You know, it looked a little bit different, but you got the impression that that's what it was supposed to be. Um, well, obviously, that's what it was supposed to be. Uh, but I agree with you, Josh. I think either way, whether it's psychological or whether it's real, it's it's just as just as unsettling. So there's one moment when she's reading the book that it says, when you see what I look like under this funny costume, you'll wish you were dead, essentially. Uh-huh. So when it, when the Bobbitt comes in the bedroom and it falls on the floor and she goes to like lift up its hat, you know, right before that POV shot you're talking about? Yes. Also, you get this fl- bright flash on her face. Yes. And then she's just like horrified. 
And then that's when it goes down into the basement. I wonder if it was a mirror image of her face. Well, that's what I almost feel like. She left her hat and realized, oh, this is me. And that's like, okay. once you see what's underneath, you'll wish that you were dead. It's like, oh, I am the monster. I need to lock this away in the basement. I'm the one that's terrorizing my child. Yeah. Interesting. Then yeah. I start wondering about the physical aspects of the film, which, again, I, I don't know. Are they real? Are they not real? Did she make that book? Like, it looks like a homemade book. There's all these empty pages in it. Right. right? Yep. Then I start wondering about things like that. There's also, um, he seems to notice when it's there, even if she doesn't. That's one of the things I, want, I wonder about um, when I watch the movie with the reading that I have of it. But Wow. My mind is so blown. Yeah. You are, well, let me just to add a little bit to this. While we were in the middle of our discussion of the Babadook, I'm sitting here in uh, I've set up my laptop in our dining room and I've got this huge bay window behind me. It takes up basically the whole back wall. <laughs> and while we were in the middle of the, of the discussion, something slammed into the window. That is terrible feng shui for you, Dave. You should not be yes. setting yourself up. <laughs> now, I'd, obviously, it's late at night. I doubt it was a bird. But I mean, we get a lot of okay. bats that fly in this area too. We get well, this is, we got a, a slight bat infestation up here. So um, usually they they have their sonar to protect them from that. But maybe one of them lost its way. Uh, but it was just that one time. If I heard it again, I probably would have dropped out of the conversation. <laughs> you probably would not have heard from me. The rest oh my of gosh! <laughs> I, you know, oh, that's freaky. Yeah, I, I do think there there's probably even more in the book there to decode. If you really go back to that simple story, mm-hmm. like the, the name has got to have something to do with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Babadook, like that's got to have something to do with on a deeper level with the story. Right. And I hope maybe if there is like some sort of Australian type of I don't know meaning or association that our listeners will let us know. Yeah. I, I know we have some listeners from down under right yep <laughs> so, I'm assuming so yeah oh oh you guys were asking about the josh was asking about when he showed up in the film and there was another part when she looks over into the neighbor's house and the old lady waves or whatever uh-huh. and he's like behind her you kind of see his face and he looks like the character in the book the face oh, a little bit yeah. it's a very yeah. quick type of flash but um it does, but it almost looked more human to me in that scene. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but it looked a little more human in that scene than it did later on. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It had more of a human face, I thought, than, than that. Almost like it could have been the husband in a way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it looked a lot like the face in the book, like the, uh, you know, the drawn face. But, but yeah, okay. that's interesting. It was a very quick flash. Yeah, but I've also seen a couple of posters, and I don't know if they're fan made, but they're of the little boy's face with his face painted like the Babadook. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. All right, well, there you go. That was our spoiler discussion for the Babadook. Let us know what you think of the film, and give us your rating in the show notes for this episode. And thanks for listening to Horror Movie Podcast.